Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Jazakallah khair for joining us on the Fourth Adventure podcast. Sorry, I need to put that on mute. <laughs> so jazakallah khair for uh, joining us on the Fourth Adventure podcast. Apologies for the slight delay. Uh, unfortunately, my mic for some reason wasn't working. Streamyard wasn't letting me uh, be heard. So today, inshallah, we are joined by our regular panel of guests. We got Jake, the Muslim metaphysician. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. We've also got uh, Yusuf from Pondering Souls. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And we have Abdurrahman also. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So today, inshallah, we've got an interesting topic, uh, a really fascinating topic actually. But when you hear the title, I nihilism, it sounds like uh, it's one of those boring, philosophical, you know, in-depth type of topic area. But actually, when you really try to understand this topic area, and hopefully, inshallah, in the, the introduction to this discussion that we're having about this topic, you'll start to really understand and appreciate the very importance of this topic. Because meaning and purpose, I think, is the most essential, you know, innate feature of human beings. We desire meaning, we desire purpose, we desire, you know, that our lives have a role to play within a grand scheme of things. So, you know, this is really fundamental. This is why we ask questions about, does a creator exist? This is why we ask questions about, you know, what is our purpose of life? How do we know what's right or wrong? Whether, you know, you're an atheist or Muslim or non-Muslim, you're going to ask these questions. And this is really about this idea of purpose and meaning. And so it goes to the heart of the question uh, in terms of, you know, the idea of nihilism and really the topic that we want to discuss. And, you know, what we want to do is also bring on as many uh, people into the call sections, particularly non-Muslims, particularly atheists on this topic is, you know, loss of God, loss of meaning, question mark. Um, so that's just a short introduction from my end. Um, uh, I want to quickly ask, um, you know, I've sort of given a short introduction. I've not really gone into much detail, but I wanted to really ask the brothers here, um, why is it an important discussion from, from your end? And try and keep it concise, inshallah. <laughs> Should go uh, clockwise. We'll, we, go, we'll, just... uh, we'll go Yusuf first and then we'll go the rest. <laughs> Obviously, Yusuf, just as a point of the uh, guys who are watching, Yusuf's done like a, what is it, a 15-hour course or something like that? Uh, I've done quite a lot on it. So I did a dissertation for, for in uni. That was what my BA ended up on. Yeah. Um, that's on my website. I'll put all the links to all of this in the description. I'm kind of in the middle of writing it out now. Uh, so I did a dissertation on it where I took a sort of um, a three-step path, uh, first talking about what nihilism is, uh, exploring Nietzsche and his work on the matter. Then moving on to step two, talking about um, leaps of faith. So it was like a comparison between Kierkegaard, and uh, who's like a Christian um, philosopher, uh, and then with... Albert Camus, who's a famous existentialist, um, who writes a lot on, on this as well, on nihilism. And so like kind of doing a comparison between them to show how this leap of faith has always end up being a, a necessary thing. And then moving on from this notion of the leap of faith um, into part three, where I end up sort of really honing in on the will to meaning, um, which is uh, something kind of put forward by the um, author called, what's his name now? Victor Frankl, Frank, Frank, Frankl, Frank? I'm getting it mixed up with uh, Dr. Finkelstein now. 
uh, Victor Frankel, Victor E. Frankel. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he basically really goes into this idea of the, the will to meaning and of an optimistic, um, a tragic optimism. And he was a survivor of the Holocaust. And uh, subhanAllah, his book, um, Man's Search for Meaning, is, is a very, very profound, very short book. Um, and that, uh, along with a couple of other is, of his writings alongside of it, um, on the will to meaning was like a huge um, sort of emphasis and a concluding remark on, on that dissertation. Uh, and then beside that, I did a series with Sabor where we go through the whole dissertation, which was like seven episodes of like two hours each on average, uh, which is quite large. That might be the one you're referring to, um, which was maybe 15, 20 hours, I think. And then I did a separate essay uh, with Sapiens Institute, which took a different route. Um, on the, the topic of nihilism. That's on the, the Sapiens Institute website as well, if you want. And there's going to be a part two of that that comes out soon. Inshallah, I'm in the process of writing that and trying to get that finished. Uh, and then I did a series uh, called The Death of Meaning, Islam and Nihilism uh, on the Sapiens Institute channel. Um, I'll put the playlist to that below mm. as well. Um, so that's the work that I've, I've, I've done on it. Um, this is quite a few hours worth of video on the thing. So, and, so just really quickly, oh, right, so why is this an important topic what why why have you spent so long talking about nihilism um also for me I've, I've felt nihilistic in the past and i know a lot of people who have i feel like it's a very very common thing um especially from like people that come maybe from council estates but not exclusively them um council estates basically being like um government supported poor, yeah, yeah poor areas in the uk um, and th there's a common thing there. There's often not many um, present fathers. Uh, the mothers are either on benefits, that is, you know, help from the 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 government, or they're single parents, but they're never home, so they're always working. Um, and so that, that you always end up with someone else sort of raising the kids. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite like a chaotic background, and there's just this general sense of like meaningless that sort of derives from this this environment um again it's it's not um necessarily the case um, you know there are people that come from these environments that um maybe you know experience meaning uh, and never have this issue um although i i think at some point people do and they end up just sort of engaging in a sort of escapism to try to you know hence the name escapism escape this feeling of nihilism this feeling of um life being meaningless or pointless um and I associate it, or I, I consider it an important thing um, because I, I associate it with the levels of depression and suicide rates as well. So it, obviously not everyone who's an nihilist is going to commit suicide or necessarily be depressed. You have um, the quote-unquote optimistic nihilists, although I find that to be quite an oxymoron um, mm. and it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but there are arguments for it and there are people who sort of put themselves forward as such. Um but for me, it's if you have committed suicide, then you're necessarily a nihilist in the sense that if, you know, if, if you've committed suicide, you've not seen life as being something worth living. Um, and this was like a major question that, for example, Albert Camus was trying to, to answer. He said, this is the most fundamental philosophical question. Why not just top yourself? Why not just end your life? Um, and then so in the myth of Sisyphus, he tries to answer this question and go along that and I, and I think if anyone has sort of got to the point where they feel like they do have to end their own life they don't see life as worth living that there is no point to it i.e there's no purpose there's no meaning there's nothing sustaining them um or keeping them in the world and this isn't 
um, limited to poverty. Uh, like I've never really been in rich cliques. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm not too much savvy in terms of how they're all dealing with it. But you see it often enough in the news that, you know, people that have lots of wealth, lots of, lots of money, lots of fame end up killing themselves. Uh, Robin Williams was one example of that. He was someone who you might look at and think, what a, a quote-unquote happy man. You know, he's he's in all of these funny films. And anytime you sort of see him, he comes across as this extremely quote-unquote happy person. Um, and yet his life was so excruciating for him, he ended up having to sort of end it. Um, so you so, know, so just so really quickly, so what, what you're saying is that nihilism isn't just some sort of intellectual discourse. Nihilism yeah. is what people, some a lot of people, in fact... Feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying to work out meaning, and they feel meaningless. Yeah, yeah. So, and so they may not the, be able to articulate in the head, but there is something there. Yeah. So, a common thing is, is people will read my work, and then they'll say, "Oh, that's what I've been feeling. I just didn't know there was a name for it, or I didn't know yeah. there was like a philosophy that sort of underpinned it." Um, but yeah, it, it you you can have this sort of esoteric version of it, um, you know, which is sort of analytical reasoned out explicitly you've got these syllogisms blah 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 blah. um on the other hand there's there's a common sort of layman's approach to nihilism um which isn't so much articulated as it's just experienced um and i make it equivalent to sort of like an illness people are just they're they're overcome with it as a consequence of the conditions that they're in of the experiences they're having and then it just sort of overwhelms them and then they have to deal with it. They have to figure out how to overcome it. And if, especially if they're coming from, say, poorer backgrounds, um, not many of like the people that come from council estates, um, you, you, at least from the people I grew up around, reading, you know, like weird <laughs> philosophy books like Nietzsche, or you know, this is not a go-to thing for them. Um, you know, they're more into going down, watching football, and playing computer games and doing other things, maybe binging on Netflix. These are the sort of things that they utilize to sort of try to overcome um, partying, you know, going out on the weekends, um, drinking, taking drugs. Again, it's, this isn't necessarily everyone. And, and when I say taking drugs, it doesn't always have to be like the more extreme end, like heroin or anything like that. Um, it could simply just be the, the quote unquote, the, uh, the timid ones, like people smoking weed or, doing what they feel is is not really quote unquote that bad. Um, but they're, they're engaging in it. They live during the week, they work in order to earn a wage, to pay the bills and give themselves enough money to be able to go out on the weekend and go crazy and um, this and any other. But yeah, it's, it's a common problem. Um, and I think it, it's one that's sort of, um, the, the modern condition is certainly uh, escalating, the, the feeling of, and you, you have this um, sort of cloud that's leering over the, the Western world um, in particular. And it's strange because obviously we, we live in a very built-up world. Everyone's got a lot of things. They've got everything that they sort of need. Uh, they have access to cold, clean, warm water. Um, you know, they've got central heating, refrigerators, washing machines, uh, the internet, you know, lights, working electricity flushing toilets all of this everyone you know it's it's very rare you'll find anyone that doesn't have these things in places like the uk um in particular or like many places in europe in america and yet rates of depression are really high people are 
sad they a lot of people are sort of still dealing with and struggling with these type of things you know antidepressants uh I, I can't remember off, off the top of my head the statistics are quite shocking in terms of like the percentage of the population that receives antidepressants um yeah. and they're quite eagerly given out as well by doctors um and it's this is sort of seen as a way of of fixing it mm. um and yeah, it, it is a huge problem, and it and it's one that we all have to deal with, either directly or indirectly. Either you, you yourself, you may not feel it now, you may eventually do so. A lot of the population is young, and sometimes these things start to kick in more as you sort of reach your thirties, and, and you, you go like, through a midlife crisis. Yeah, because you've gotten <laughs> to the point where your youth has just snapped past you before you've even known it, and you're like, "What have I been doing? I've done nothing." And you're watching all of these people on YouTube or the uh the programs like um jersey shore and that and they've got everything they want and what have i got you know I, i've got i think most of our viewers might not know jersey shore it's in yeah, fact i hope you never know, know it i hope you never know it never ever don't even <laughs> Can I bring in jake into this uh so uh perfect time because you know, i live on the jersey shore <laughs> <laughs> this is a different jersey i think i live I it bro <laughs> so in terms of uh you know what is what would you say is nihilism if you want to try to the sort of the crux of what is nihilism um i mean yusuf could correct me if i'm wrong but as far as i understand it is that there's there's no intrinsic meaning to anything in the universe and to even really attempt at uh trying to construct a meaning is almost pointless um that's kind of how I understand it. I and I distinguish that from uh, existentialism, which have something in common that there is no intrinsic meaning to anything. But existentialism basically says that you know you construct your own meaning as you go along, and you kind of make your your own yeah. way, so to speak. I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that distinction or not really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ex existentialism is a reaction to what they thought as the, the fact of nihilism. So basically philosophy had been building up, building up, building up, and then eventually it, it gets to this crescendo and it's like, oh crap, nihilism. Yeah. And so that, that was the sort of, quote unquote, the revelation of the, uh, you know, of Nietzsche. Um, yeah. And so then you you get all of these thinkers post Nietzsche that really start to read it and start to accept it. And then mm. they start thinking, well, what, how do we go on? And then that's, you know, the Camus sort of um, opening statements in his, his book on the myth of Sisyphus. Why not just kill yourself? It, like, and they, they talk about this attempt, you know, you listen to the scientists, you listen to this, you listen to that. Everything ends up sort of leading into what they see as this absurdity. Um, you've got like this need or this desire, as um, Thomas Nagel puts it, um, an innate desire for meaning. And then you just have the the quote unquote the unreasonable silence of the world um, to fulfil that. So we're in essence born with a, a thirst that is unquenchable, um, and and we can never be satisfied. And so how do we as humans deal with this reality? Yeah. And, so and then existentialism so builds on that. Yeah. Mm. So yes, so I, I want to just uh, just focus on that point actually. Just not the Thomas Nagel, but obviously you mentioned. I think you mentioned Frederick Nietzsche. And yeah. anytime we talk Friday. about night, <laughs> every time we talk about nihilism, Nietzsche always comes up. And Nietzsche, yeah. from my understanding, gave an example uh, of a person running down the mountain. Yeah, uh, going, "Where is God? Where is God?" And then you had that famous statement, 
God is dead, na'udhu billah, yeah? Um, what was that all about? Was Nietzsche somebody who was arguing for nihilism? Was he trying to say, yeah, this is how we should be nihilistic? <clears throat> yeah, so Nietzsche, he wasn't necessarily saying we should be nihilists. Um, he, he said we should accept it and go through it in order to, to get to a higher state, so to speak. And it, it's sort of like uh, an allowing everything to, to burn for the phoenix, quote-unquote, to arrive out of the ashes. Um, and yeah. he, he refers what, to himself... What did, what did he mean by God is dead? What was he, what was he talking about? So he didn't, he didn't mean it... down from the mountain. Okay, okay. Because so, obviously <laughs> you've got these intellectuals who are, who are saying, oh, this guy's crazy, what's he talking about? Yeah. About evidence for God. Okay, so he, just to kind of preface this, Nietzsche himself was agnostic. So he wasn't an, an atheist. He didn't think God had actually died. Um, and for him, he, it was just a case of like, he didn't feel like the, the discourse was satisfactory. He felt that, that no one had either proven or completely disproven God, that it was just going nowhere, um, this discourse. And so, you know, he was open to the fact that God may in fact exist. It's completely possible, but he just didn't care. You know, in, in his work, it, it seems like he's not really that bothered. And what he's talking about is a sort of uh, like a, a progression of philosophy from Plato throughout um, European history up until the point that he starts to analyze everything. And what he sees is this progression of philosophy just sort of undermining everything. And he saw philosophy as being innately nihilistic. That is, it just takes you down these into this labyrinth that you can never get out of. And eventually you end up sort of un, every all of the higher values end up undermining themselves. So truth is like eventually undermined um, by its own endeavors like truth. It, so he saw truth, for example, as every all higher values are underpinned by morality. But then you have truth itself starts to explore morality and then sees morality as a fiction. And the moment morality gets noticed or seen as a fiction, this undermines the value of truth, which was a moral value to begin with. And then it removes the need for it um, or the, you know, the necessity of truth. And so when he's talking about um, God is dead. So it's, this is specifically in the book called The Gay Science and it's Atherism 125, The Madman. And it's about this madman who runs down and he's like, he's got a torch, but it's the morning, like it's daylight. So it's like really emphasizing his craziness. And he's like, where is God? Where is God? He's looking for God. And everyone in the marketplace is laughing at him. Like they're, they're, none of them take this idea seriously anymore. Um, they've trivialized it and they're like, oh, is he hiding? Has he gone out to play? Has he ran away? Like, is he lost? And the, the, the madman, he's struck by the nonchalance about it, about how, um, silly they they think this thing is and, and and it annoys him and so while they're laughing he smashes the lantern on the floor and they go silent they're shocked like you've you've got this huge shift from their kind of look mocking him um and laughing at him and sort of enjoying the morning and they're out buying things and and having a, a great day and, and and then he breaks it and he's like he's he's tries his hardest he you know he, he shouts to, at the top of his voice and he bellows and he's like um where is god i will tell you we have killed him you and i and then he, he goes into it in more detail he says but what how how did we do this this is like the greatest deed that has ever happened like but how many you know how many sponges will it take to clean the blood you know like how did we wipe away the horizon and then 
so he, he moves away from like the, the 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 gravity of the situation that you know how how like how unfathomable this act is that they've killed god um that is they've lost faith that the what christianity and this is mainly as well specifically his critique is always against christianity he sees christianity as this religion that's um basically like killing itself um internally and and so when he's saying god is dead he, he's looking at um christianity as being no more than a corpse anymore like it doesn't have as much of a hold on the people as it used to prior to his time um and so he he's like you know how did we do this how did we do this? not only that the people haven't even seen what they've done they, they they don't even realize how grand of an act this is they don't even realize how much of a problem they've caused for themselves mm. and i'm too early i'm too early and he's and he basically starts to say well what, what you know is there no up is there no down are we not drifting who unchained the earth from the sun that is you know we, we have no link to any necessary value anymore we're going to be going out into the open space into the abyss and he always makes yeah. these sort of um analogies between like the the realization of nihilism and this open darkness this abyss this and i, I the way i sort of whenever i read his work i always remember these moments i had where i had this feeling of an abyss and one of them was while i was traveling i went night diving and so we were in Malaysia on, in this island and we, and we went out and my light, my torch was bad. Like the, it was so bad that it made it harder to see because it was so dim that I could only like it basically, I don't know why it works out like that, but if you, if you've, apparently if you've got a really, really bad torch, that's quite dim, it, it's pointless even having one. Like your eyes can't adjust well enough to the dark for you to be able to see anything at all. Um, and you just got to, I, I just ended up having to stop using it and like trying to use everyone else's. But then, there was a moment where I was on my own. I was behind the, the group and I was in the ocean and it was pitch black. It was middle of the night. And I, I just, I got distracted because uh, they had this bioluminescence. So I was moving my hands through the water and there was this trail of like blue sparkles that would follow your hand. And so I was a bit hypnotized by that. And I was just like, woo, tripping and like playing about with that. And then all of a sudden I realized I was on my own and I was just looking forward and there was just nothing but darkness. The ocean was pitch black. I couldn't, I, I couldn't distinguish distance. All I saw was darkness and I had no idea what was in that. And all that was running through my head is like a shark could be five meters away from me now and I have no idea. There's, there could be all sorts of monsters and demons and everything beyond this point and I would have no idea. And this sheer terror just came over me. And there was a part of me that just wanted to turn around and swim. But there was this other part of me that, was so incredibly like intrigued by the experience, by the terror, that I was just sort of frozen um, and just experiencing it. And I can't remember how long I was sort of just there, but it, it was it was a mad feeling. And I, I when I was reading Nietzsche, I was getting a similar feeling. Like he was invigorating this, or re, he was making me relive this moment of be, of being confronted with the abyss, of just being in front of the vast nothing, and. And he he's making this in the the analogy of the the, the atherism of the madman. He he starts moving towards this, and but he's talking not just on an individual level, but on a societal level. That the whole of the earth has been unchained from the sun. The whole of the earth is floating away from that into an abyss. And once it leaves its 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 center, that which everything was united upon. Um, obviously that being in, in Western Europe at the time, it was Christianity. Once that was left, there was nothing. 
to um to give perspective anymore there was no more up or down there was no left or right there was no direction there was no nothing anymore there's just just nothing just nihilism um and he's he's really really trying to hone in on this and for him it was a case of overcoming it with some form of creativity and and so this is how you end up sort of the you know the influence of the the existentialists is is their their attempts to to try and be the uh, the overman or the or the ubermensch, ubermensch. Um, yeah. yeah, and or to kind of start to at least move in that direction yeah. of creating a world where this this type of person can to come to being. But it was never. Be, yeah, I was going to say I'll, before we move on, move on to the actual ubermensch. Uh, if we do get to that point, um, I just wanted to maybe uh, also bring in Jake on this point, which is that, in essence, from what I understand, from what Yusuf's saying, is. The people in the town are the intellectuals, the academics. No, no, they're like everyone. They're, oh, everyone. Well, everyone, but but as in that they're mocking this madman who's saying, yeah, yeah. "Where is God?" Because in the same way, we come across a lot of people out in the society when you start talking about religion or you talk about belief in a creator, belief in God. They're like, "Oh, you know, why are you talking about that? That's so stupid. That's so silly." Yeah, yeah. But yeah. just this is important though because it, it's not just the academics. This is everyone. It's a marketplace. Yeah. The academic. But, the layman, yeah. the, the poor person, they all go to the marketplace to get their food. Yeah. They're all there. But what, not but what from what I understand is what Nietzsche what Nietzsche is saying is that the madman, he actually sees something that they don't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he Which says that come too early. Yeah. So he's basically, you know, uh, as the Joker would say, he's ahead of the curve, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And so, so so just to bring Jake into this point, so in essence, what he, from what I understand, and maybe you can expand upon this. He's saying that everything is anchored, the sciences, even that's the natural sciences, morality, viewpoint <clears throat> on life, epistemology, they're yeah. anchored upon belief in a creator. It's not like this is something that religious people do, but mm. the whole, a whole civilized, Western civilization, or general civilization, but also if we talk about specifically Western civilization, is actually born out of a quote unquote religious sort of belief system mm -hmm. or tradition. Yeah. So this yeah. touching on the, sorry, sorry, let me, sorry, sorry, let me bring in Jake because yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, was, sorry, uh, sorry. I mean, what unless you uh... <laughs> yeah, and as, as far as I understand it, um, I think Nietzsche sees himself as the madman um, to a certain degree because he, I think he sees himself as pointing this out to everyone else and saying like. He realizes, I think, that most people aren't ready for it. They're not ready to really embrace uh, what he's speaking about. And obviously, I mean, it, it seemed like it was the case. Um, eventually, with people reading more of his material and realizing the implications of a sort of uh, rejection of God, I think that more and more people wound up uh, bringing that on board and his whole kind of philosophy. But I think that what Yusuf talked about, obviously he didn't believe in God, so he didn't believe that God literally died or anything, but he was talking about in the metaphorical sense that he was trying to say that, look, he was, uh, if we reject God, these are the consequences. This is what follows. And so there's no objective truth with a capital T you know, there's no objective morality or even objective meaning really to anything. Um, and so that's what he was trying to point out with the with the story and largely with most of his writings 
uh, even after that. Um, and I think that us on the stream, we would probably agree. Um, and so <laughs> we think if you have good reason to think, and this is kind of my point, if you have good reason to think, at least from an intuitive aspect, that there is some kind of objective meaning to reality, um, then you have good reason to believe in God. Uh, and you have good reason to reject the idea of atheism. I know that's kind of going much more forward, but I think that's kind of the whole point. Um, I sort of agree with Nietzsche's argument, but I reject the idea that there is no objective meaning because I think, and this is a point, because I had an entire class in university on existentialism. <laughs> and it was this weird experience that I had because I was sitting in the class and I'm listening to everything that's being spoken of. And my professor was a Nietzsche scholar. Um, and everybody else in the class, there's like 25 people, are sitting there and they're just eating this in my opinion, crap up. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they, they just love this sort of it, honestly, bro, it's, existentialism. It's yeah. it, it, was, it was so strange. And I'm the only one sitting there thinking, this is just complete nonsense. <laughs> and so I would constantly challenge the professor. I remember it vividly. I would constantly challenge the professor while the class is going on because everybody else was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm, I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. And um, so he liked me, but at the same time he didn't because he was an existentialist. Um, but at the same time, he liked that I was sort of challenging him. Yeah, well, that's and, the philosophy class, isn't it? They need the back and forth. It gets boring otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Boring. I was bored. I was like, everybody's just eating this crap up. And so, I don't know, kind of fast forwarding. Uh, I had to write a – we had – several papers to write as you do normally in a, in a, you know, university course. And I wrote this paper trying to just completely debunk Nietzsche and his whole uh, philosophy. And I just was pointing out what I thought were all the contradictions in his thought of when, you know, saying that there's no objective truth, but in order to really make that statement, you need to have some sort of objective truth and objective meaning. All these things, I just went through these sort of argument ad absurdums against uh, Nietzsche's philosophy. And when I handed in, I, you know, I got an A on the paper. And when he handed it back to me, he just said, Jake, life is absurd. That's kind of the point. The whole thing is a contradiction. Yes, yes. And I was like, I was like, yeah, but I don't think it is. <laughs> so we, we kind of had that moment. And then he told me, and this always stuck to me up until this day. And I, I told Sharif before, and I usually tell people when this topic gets brought up. He said, you know what existentialism is? He said, existentialism is taking an exam leaving the entire exam blank and scoring a hundred on the exam. <laughs> and I, and I thought to myself, well, wow, why in the hell would anyone want to really believe in existentialism and this nihilist philosophy? It's just totally contradictory and absurd. And I, up until even the end, no matter what I said, all the rest of the kids in the class seemed to just eat it up and they just were like, sort of punk rockers like leaving the classroom like Ooh, we love Nietzsche <laughs> and 
And um, but sort of on that point, I want to ask Yusuf: Is that the is that what drove you into nihilism? Were you like one of those kids that were in the class that were sitting next to me eating it up? And that no, no. So <laughs> when I was nihilist, this was prior to my like academia. So before, so I only started being quote unquote academic when I went to college, um, and that was. I think 2016. Prior to that, I didn't really read many books. I'd only really started reading when I went traveling, um, which was like my mid twenties, early twenties. Um, <clears throat> before that, I was like naughty in school. Um, you know, I didn't do too well. I dropped out of college a couple of times and I was like, I'm just gonna make money and just started working. So when I ended up in nihilism, it was more because I was trying to like embed myself in life and this feeling of the unquenchable first was always hitting me. So it was like, I was trying to, I was drinking, I was smoking, I was doing things. I'd, I'd go to like the full moon party and go to the mushroom mountain and do all of this mad stuff. Um, and it, it was, it, it was because I had this thirst. I needed to feel like my life was significant in some way. Um, and it just, it wasn't working. Like everything that I was doing, it just, it could never, it wasn't lasting. Whatever happiness, whatever pleasure I was gaining from it, um, it was It was very, like, I'd get it in a dose, and then if I ever took or did the same thing, equivalent, again, the the um, the effects were always less than the prior time. So I'd have to do it a little bit further to get either the same, and if I wanted a stronger feeling, I'd have to do it a little bit more. And then, like, every time you go back to it, your tolerance increases and so the effects lower and you've got to kind of like be more and more and more extreme each time you go and return to it. But you, it gets to a point where it's like your tolerance is so low and the doses required are so like high that you just don't have the means to be able to do it. And that, that wasn't just with like substances like alcohol and things like that. It's the same thing with like women. So I was like, I, I, there was a point where I was running a bar on an island and apparently like I looked cool i had firepoint and I, I ran a bar and i used to just sort of live on this beach like a, a proper a beach bum and had uh, long golden hair at the time because when my hair hits the sun it it, uh, it bleaches and so like i was this cool kid and, and then it just it, it, it like it, it sounded good on paper and it was always something i like kind of dreamed of living and then when i was living it it just it felt so dead it felt so empty it felt so like it just it wasn't what it was painted on the tin um and so, so yeah, yeah go on i oh, don't know no, i was just going to bring in abdul because poor old abdul has been patient in the background so we, we and i, I want to bring uh, in also a question. man of the hour here so <laughs> and by the way yeah also for the audience yeah we're gonna have a call in uh so don't, you know so don't worry uh but i because it's such a deep deep topic yeah um that you know it does require a bit of an explanation but there was a uh, there was a comment that caught my eye in the chat uh, by uh, Amy Newman, and she said, "I'm an atheist and I'm not a nihilist, and I've also seen that lots of atheists really don't like this term nihilism. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel offended by it. They're like, how dare you call me a nihilist? You know, um, they they sort of see. I remember one atheist said to me." He sees it on par to being racist 
to be called a nihilist. <laughs> Why is this such a guttural emotional reaction from atheists when you talk about loss of meaning for atheism? Yeah, I, I think I think I think because the, there's a lot about Nietzsche here, obviously. I think the, this can still take us back to Nietzsche because the the idea that Nietzsche was putting putting forward was not that you know um, it wasn't a metaphysical idea. It was it was the fact that you moderns are getting rid of this greater meta narrative about the world and about creation and about meaning has its implications and you guys aren't realizing it. So it's this inconsistency that he was even pointing out to his teacher, Schopenhauer, right? That it seemed like Schopenhauer had this higher, uh, uh, you know, value of happiness that he regarded as this transcendent uh, metaphysical goal. Right. Uh, and he, he, he basically, um, built his philosophy on the basis of like suffering and what it implies and his pessimism. But still the underlying idea was that happiness is to be obtained. And, and I think Nietzsche, what, what he was trying to do, it's, it's, it's difficult to read Nietzsche, of course, but then what he was trying to do was he's trying to say like, you guys are inconsistent, right? He, 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 he was trying to tell Schopenhauer and the moderns that you guys, you got rid of this Judeo Christian tradition that served as the basis of, basically everything you stood for in terms of meaning. And right now you're not, you know, being consistent in realizing the implications of that. Right. And, and so this relating to this comment, right. Um, I think that's what Nietzsche would, would, would say to, uh, to Amy, was it that, yeah. that, that, you know, you can think you have meaning, uh, but, but uh, you know, if you think you have meaning on the basis of some kind of, Meta narrative that if if you don't realize the implications of the loss of this meta narrative about or this story about the world or about humanity, then that that's that's an inconsistency. And I think there's a deeper problem with Nietzsche himself. the The idea is that I I don't think Nietzsche cared about metaphysics. I, I don't think he cared about the question of God's existence. He thought I he ended for him, yeah. yeah he, I I think for him, like his problem with Christianity wasn't that it's mythology. It was that it's harmful, harmful mythology. He actually viewed Christianity as nihilistic. He 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 viewed the idea that Christianity makes you, uh, you know, uh, struggle with your drives. You know, he had this idea of drives, and Christianity makes you suppress your drives and go to asceticism and stuff like that, and try to uh, free yourself of these inner drives that you have as a human. Actually, uh, suppresses your creativity, and that's a form of nihilism for 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 Nietzsche. So Nietzsche wouldn't have a problem with some kind of mythology that actually makes you realize the creativity within. It's 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 a bit it's a bit complicated for Nietzsche, but I think there's an inconsistency because what Nietzsche does is he says, okay, guys, you got rid of the meta narrative. We have to go through this phase of disorientation, right? So there's this realization we're suddenly going to have that okay, there's meaninglessness. There's this vacuum of nihilism we're going to deal with. And from there, he says that only the strong will, will be able to create their own meaning. Like if you're strong, you can sort of create your own meaning. And for the rest, he, he doesn't even think that his work is for the weak. Because if, if he gets a lot of the weaker people into this realization, it might take them into just this, this uh, you know, uh, uh, this, this endless uh, train of nihilism that would just uh, uh, damage them and damage society as a whole. But he says for, for, the, strong, for the strong ones among the, amongst us, we can create our own meaning. But this is the problem with Nietzsche is that he doesn't question the value of meaning as a whole. Like he, he wants for us to create some kind of 
uh, meta narrative, which is why he talks about this ideal man or uh, uh, what's it called? The Ubermensch. Yeah, Ubermensch, right? Okay. So he wants to create a meta narrative, which is mythology for him, but he says this is useful mythology, right? So he, he, he basically refuses to question, I think, this idea of like, you know, but why should we create this meta narrative that moves our culture forward? Because he realizes that if he questions that, he's going to be back into that vacuum of nihilism, right? So it's kind of like he's deceiving himself. It feels for me as if Nietzsche couldn't escape nihilism. And he was like, okay, guys, we, we need some kind of mythology to take us forward. But let's just make it a mythology that realizes our desires, not one that suppresses it like Christianity. Right? And then, then this hmm. is where I think Islam can come into the picture. Where, where, where Islam, Islam doesn't suppress your desires. Islam doesn't take you to asceticism, asceticism and stuff like that. It's what Islam does is it... Yeah, what Islam does is that it does it actually values this what Nietzsche wanted in, in the sense of action. You, like, like Nietzsche, he didn't like this idea of you know our ultimate goal should be to reflect on the world. He, that that's a problem. You want to act, but Islam has that balance. Islam says, yeah, yeah, we want to act. We want to realize our strengths. We want to be the best we could possibly be. And there's a hadith about the Prophet ﷺ. He said that if the hour is before you, if you, if you see the last hour coming and it's judgment day and you're about to plant a tree, plant it. I mean, that's, that's, that's so anti-nihilistic, right? It means that there, that's, that's like for Nietzsche, I think he wouldn't want to plant it, right? It's like, that, that's, that's the end of the world, right? But then for us, we have this balance. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's the main issue here with, 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 uh, with Nietzsche and getting out of that problem, I think is a bigger issue. We're going to, I think uh, Yusuf is going to talk about moral nihilism. And, and how you actually create meaning without a meta-narrative. Science, right? Why should we value truth? You have to, again, create some kind of mythology that's like, hey, the truth matters. You know, on materialism, how do you, how do you create meaning? Well, either it's just a useful fiction, in which case there's a bit of inconsistency because wait, as moderns, you value truth and, you know, you're against religion because it's a mythology. But then you create your own mythology that's useful and you actually believe in it because people believe the truth matters, right? Uh, hmm. Or you try to create some kind of... Uh, I've seen people attempt to create... Um, uh, I, uh, I've read... I can't pronounce his name. Uh, his name is Schaffer Landau. He's a philosopher who wrote a book about, uh, uh, you know, uh, a defense of uh, moral realism. And it kind of like just makes it... Circles back to like a problem of heart consciousness where you just assert that meaning or moral values just supervene on the physical you, you just say i'm not a reductive physicalist and meaning just somehow is there right and so i, I don't think there's an escape from this and uh, i think that's the main so, issue really yeah so, so i think from what from my understanding is that the, the problem is that when you turn around and you say to an atheist you don't have meaning he will associate that or she will associate that with I don't have self-worth. I don't have value. And that's the problem. The problem is, is how do you create value in a form of matter that was a product of some sort of accident within the universe? And who, whatever that person does throughout the universe is ultimately inconsequential because it's all transient. It will just leave. So how do you create meaning and value you know of of human life you know of meaning and so when you point this out and this is going back to nietzsche isn't it when you point this out to a lot of atheists it's like ah oh, 
you know, you might as well be calling me the N-word or whatever it is, yeah, being racist to me. But Nietzsche say, is basically the head of the curve. He said, well, yeah, that's what you have to accept. And then, obviously, he tries to get out of it in terms of creating his own mythology and existentialism. So I think that's how I see, this is how I see. And I think, uh, Yusuf, just to bring you in again, you know, you mentioned this push and pull that you felt. This is obviously before you became Muslim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this uh, push. Forces. Yeah, these acting forces, this push away uh you know from where the way that you were living you were living on this tropical island running a bar alcohol drugs women all that type of thing partying every night but yet there was a push that moved you away from that yeah because i just want to kind of preface as well that my life wasn't that 24 7 all my life like i'd gone i'd tried all of these varying different ways of being so i had like a group of mosher friends that we used to just go play warhammer and just paint models and like be nerdy (laughs) and and then i had like a group of um like chavy mates and we used to go out and we'd be like on the park at night drinking alcohol and smoking and I had uh, like a group of older mates that all had cars and they're driving. So like, you know, I was dipping in and out of all these different kind of groups. It was a bit of a a quote unquote social chameleon. Um, But yeah, there was definitely this like sort of these forces at play where like I had one thing sort of pushing me away from it, another thing calling me towards it. Um, And it was a very, very long process. It wasn't like an overnight thing. Um, but just sort of touching on, so you, you mentioned science being underpinned. So the way Nietzsche sort of sees science, he looks at science as the the corpse of Christianity. So science for him isn't the this thing that sort of, you know, like you, you, you see religion, like Dawkins puts it, as if religion's this big nasty dragon and it's like, it's trying to kill everything. And then you've got um, the, the, the knight in shining armor that just rides over the horizon on his is a glorious steed and like and this is science and then it runs over and it defeats the dragon and it's like yes and they, they paint you, you get you get it a lot from these sort of um new atheist types that, that science is built up as this sort of new being that comes to defeat religion and it, and it's not that it's not that it's it's quite the opposite it is what is left off religion um, and they don't see this. And, and the way Nietzsche describes it, he says, like, listen, the, the desire for truth, seeing truth as a higher value is a moral judgment. You have to see truth as good. You have to see truth as something that good people want to attain. These are all moral statements. And this, they all, like, he's arguing in terms of the Europeans, that they derived this from the Bible. They derived this from the religion. And he says this desire to achieve to truth, to look at the world as if it's intelligible, this derived from Christianity as well. In Europe specifically, they saw the world as something that was ordered by a wise being and not as chaotic. Like the Greeks prior to the, you know, the Christian West, um, they didn't see the world in the same way. They saw the world as, as a very sort of chaotic place, not necessarily something that was intelligible. Um, no, it, it was quite contrary. Christianity gave rise to this way of looking at the world, um, this moral drive that pushed them towards wanting to achieve truth. But then it's sort of the the sting turns itself against it. Like it's like the you know the bee that stings itself. He says this moral 
um, drive that gave rise to the obsession with truth and reason in the West um, ended up undermining the very system which gave rise to that moral drive, that is Christianity. And so it kills itself. Um, yeah, but Joseph, um, people are going to, I can imagine what people are going to say, or atheists are going to say, say, well, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, atheists can value truth. Yeah. yeah truth no, they, is not yeah, just yeah, something yeah. Uh, that comes can. from Christianity. So how but, is but it the question that you here, get this moral nihilism yeah. from atheism? Because the question here is, is, is it necessary? Why do you need to value truth? Now, within a Christian framework, it's like, well, you know, if you don't value truth, you burn for an eternity. Like, in, in terms of the atheist, it's instrumental now. It's like, well, what is the point of valuing truth if it's just detrimental to me and everyone I know? It, you know, mm. the, and it, there is no necessary drive. It's like, you know... <laughs> It, it, it becomes instrumental, basically. And yes, there is still the possibility for opening up, but there's nothing, there's no like fear of eternal damnation. It's like, well, if in this world, all of the positives lie in a false notion or in a false um, direction to move towards a lie, then there's very little motivation. If you think of it from a utilitarian perspective, like you move towards the lie, then there's all of this pleasure that derives from it. If you move towards the truth, there's all of this pain and this suffering. Like if you're a utilitarian and you're you're fixed in the dunya, you're fixed in the world, at what point would you want to continue to value truth there? It, it becomes, you know, yeah, yeah. if you don't believe in uh, sort of any justice in an afterlife, it's like, well, you know, why would you keep on to this thing if it's completely hmm. detrimental, I get. And that's not to say, um, obviously there's certain examples where this might be the case, but it, there's, it's just, it's not necessary is, is basically the point. And because there's so no I, fear I, of yeah. life. Yeah, so from my understanding is that when you turn around and you ask the question, why should you value truth? Uh, a lot of people divorced of a particular religious belief will turn around and say, well, it's beneficial. It's beneficial for human beings. And well, what that's you're an saying, it's not always. Yeah, that's right. What you, so what you're saying is actually, well, okay, if it wasn't beneficial, let's just say it wasn't beneficial just for the uh, sake of the argument, would it be still valuable? And then you're saying, well, it's not valuable anymore. So then truth is only valuable based upon various benefits. And then you can give examples. And I think even um, Donald Hoffman, who's a professor in uh, neuroscience and philosophy of science, he talks about this idea that evolution adapts to survival, not adapts to truth finding. So, you know, he, he gave a particular mathematical model in which he's demonstrated how an organism that is able to see reality as it is, is less likely to survive than an organism that's more adopted to survival, even if it's less correlated to truth. So truth finding is not necessary for organisms and human beings in order to have benefit and so he's basically his argument is how we see the world is not really how the world is it's just how we've evolved to perceive it you know as like a user interface of the world so truth therefore becomes something that's not even valued as a necessary thing as as, as you mentioned yourself and yeah, if that i think case, i think if i could just if, if I could just add to that, Sharif, the, the, the idea that, that truth, like the, the truth-seeking and why we ought to seek truth, right, uh, is, is it's, it's not that um, for 
the, the the nihilist or 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 for Nietzsche. It's it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it restricts you, right? So the the idea is that the problem when you guys seek truth, it's going to take you to this conclusion that these mythologies are false, right? That there is no truth, there is no ultimate truth in the world that we that that you know gives us meaning, and that conclusion, if truth does matter, you should follow the implications of that truth where it leads you to, and you should become a nihilist and just you know, and it's going to take you to very bad places. That that's that's that I think was Nietzsche's idea, and that's why he didn't. Truth wasn't the priority for him, right? So for him, it was like yeah, okay, truth matters, but in as Yusuf put it, in like a instrumentalist manner like as far as it helps you it's useful you know achieve yeah. your drives right achieve, yeah, achieve, yeah, your, yeah. achieve your, your 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 desires and yeah. and uh, and but that has serious implications for morality for example right and and it is at the end of the day like uh, like like there's you know in terms of cosmic nihilism right which is which is an extreme version of existential nihilism that does have a huge psychological implication on humans, right? The fact that your, your your existence is utterly meaningless on a cosmic scale. Uh, so and, if and it's meaningless way- on a cosmic scale, why would you even value meaning of truth and morality on an individual scale? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea is that the ex- existentialist tries to get out of this by by, by saying that, what, wait, you're, you guys are ignoring the subjective aspect. Of meaning, it's, it's it's objective. Why 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 should it be relative to the cosmos? But then the problem is you're going to be going in circles again. You're you're back where you started. You're trying to you're again going to create this meta narrative. You can't. However, you are going to try to create meaning. You will create this story, this mythology about why a certain truth matters. Like for example, why happiness matters. And and you are going to stick to that as some kind of transcendent truth. And and the issues you're going to face. If you're concerned with metaphysics and truth, the difficulty of, uh, uh, you know, validating such meaning on a materialistic world. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of people have attempted to do that. I don't want to, I don't want, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want to uh, like straw man or oversimplify their position. But in my view, uh, I think it's very difficult to make it work. Well, I mean, it's it's one of two options. You're either going to uh, uh, say it's it's a it's a just it's a useful fiction. Or you're going to try to say to just make some kind of uh, you know ad hoc assertion that it's just it, it, it's just there, just like what 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 some materials do with consciousness that it just it's just an emergent property with with no further explanation required whatsoever. So morality just is just supervenient on the physical, and we can just call ourselves non-reductive physicalists uh, and non-naturalists in that sense. So <coughs> excuse me again. Uh, so, so the problem—that's—that's the, that's, I think the problem. It's not that truth doesn't matter; it's that truth is going to lead us to this, you know, this this uh, skepticism, right? This this nihilism about the world, right? There's there's no ultimate meaning, and I think that is the fundamental presumption that that Nietzsche has. I just want to add on what you said there. So, the, this idea of it being restrictive is is a really really important point. So, it's. Like when it comes to someone, because Nietzsche's whole process was basically um, there's going to be this um, the destroying of the status quo in terms of what the values are in society, and then the, the society would have to go through this process of a reevaluation of values. Now, in that reevaluation, truth doesn't have to be valued. If you find it something restrictive, then you can 
continue to build a new value system where truth doesn't play a part in it and and that you don't have to maybe because you do, you don't like the things that you know come out of that that people don't for example this idea that um and we need to touch on this as well that why if there's a cosmic nihilism does that uh, necessarily entail existential nihilism on like a personal level and and the reason is is like if you want to feel meaning in a um, in an authentic manner, it becomes impossible when you understand that, or you, you've come to an, an understanding where you see the world as nothing but um, being on, on the foundational level, just empty matter, there's no conscious push, it's all random atoms hitting each other, it's all chaos, it's all absurd. If you've got this notion of the absurd at the foundation of everything, any meaning that you build on top of that becomes necessarily an act like child's play like the children on the playground when they're playing make-believe you can't there's that's always at the back of your head and if, if it's at the back of your head unless you you build a wall between you and it then yeah you can't you can't you can't play with meaning in an authentic manner it becomes or or, or yusuf i don't know i don't know if you would agree yusuf but or unless you embrace it like i don't want to make it seem like i'm saying that an atheist can't have meaning in his life. What I, I think what no, we're he can. He saying can. is what, what, what the metaphysical can. implications of this are, right? What the implications of this meaning are, what the better explanation is for this very strong lingering idea of meaning in, you know, or, 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 or moral values or, you know, yeah, these yeah. higher truths that we're seeking. What the best explanation for that is, uh, I think that's that's the question, and that's where we go back to the fundamental worldview, whether it's theism or you know atheism or, or like materialism, naturalism, all these categories and subcategories, and we say, well, is there an inconsistency here? Is there a problem? Is there a metaphysical problem? And 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 again, I think it's always going to go back to this hyper skepticism about metaphysics, right? If you're not a hyper skeptic about metaphysics and you're a materialist or you're a philosophical naturalist, I find it very hard to see how you can derive any kind of uh, objective meaning uh, uh, based based on your experiences. And and you can derive subjective meaning, but the the, the the metaphysical question here is like you know what's the the status of that meaning yeah, and and, yeah. and and what that meaning means really, and and what are the implications of such an existentialist view on meaning and uh, in terms of morality and and you know in terms of every person being limited by their experience and how they're going to existentially react to their surroundings. Can we each have our own morality? Can we each have make our own meaning? And are we going to survive like that as a society? Or is it, as Nietzsche put it, and as he realized that, no, we need to have some kind of meta-narrative. And uh, I don't know if he was an individualist uh, about this, like in the sense that everybody has to make their own meaning. But uh, I think there there was this question about collective meaning, right? Or the collective meta-narrative, the correct collective mythology that you're going to build your meaning on do you he was an elitist he was an elitist so he wasn't bothered about the the herd man that you know the the, those in the herd he's not bothered with they are going to do whatever they're going to do his philosophy uh, was for the few he says this in the opening uh, i think it's the preface of uh his last book the antichrist um he's only bothered about the, the the few people um that he's writing for who he doesn't feel were born at the time he was writing it and that they're, they're, they're due in the future at some point. Yeah. And Yusuf, so what, what are the implications of that, I'm, Yusuf, if I can ask? Sorry, Abdul. 
Uh, really quickly, yeah. sorry, I, I don't want to. I know uh, we, we can have this uh, discussion amongst ourselves yeah. for a long time, but I really want to bring in uh, some of the audience members as well. Yeah, uh, yeah no I think we've got. Uh, do, do we have Amy? Uh, yes. Yeah. In, if we can bring her on, maybe. Well, hello, Amy. Hello, guys. How are you? Alhamdulillah. We're good. We're okay. How are you? How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Looks like we're talking about, I think, consciousness in the channel, but we're talking about nihilism and a whole bunch of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. so Amy, the discussion today, obviously, amongst ourselves here uh, and the show is talking about loss of God, loss of meaning. You know, is there a way to sort of understand meaning even in an atheistic perspective or under a materialistic perspective? And by meaning, it's primarily about having an having an absolute meaning not just something which is subjective for me or you but maybe if you want to bring that in you can bring that in so i don't know what your thoughts are in regards to that and if you've got any questions or points that you want to push back on as well please feel free well i kind of have a middle ground and it gets all tied together with my definition of consciousness but i think we have a local meaning i think we have local meaning that we're born with which is to eat to get rid of waste and to sometimes mate. I think those three premises are what give us life. I think that it's the bottom definition of all multicellular organisms. Do you see a distinction, uh, Amy, between a multicellular organism or even a bacteria to human beings? Yes, in fact, I would say the difference between other multicellular organisms and us is we're conscious. Okay, so in terms of consciousness and meaning, do you see any sort of relationship between that? That we're not just consciously aware of eating, excreting, and reproducing, but you know, we sort of want to transcend that, don't we? I mean, do you not think? I would say that I have a model, and I would say to go all the way down our model, it would be that's what gets us to humanity. And I'll just do it really quickly, which is just brain, mind consciousness, sentience, introspection, and introspection would be the type of thing that you're talking about. That's what gets us the man on the moon and us asking deep questions and introspection is metadata. It's us having data about data. Okay. Uh, I don't know if any of the other uh, guys want to jump so, in. So Amy, I yeah, mean, I think on, there's the question about, there's the question about valuing truth, right? So do you think sure. that um, that we should value truth? I think that we should value truth. The hard thing is that to value truth and logic, you have to make an emotional decision, and that is the hard leap. And and uh, and and do you, are you like an instrumentalist about truth in the sense that truth should matter as far as it is useful? I believe that we should know as many true things and as few false things as possible. So what about, for example, how many hairs there are on, uh, you know, I don't know. There's, My head. Yeah, on, on Abdul Rahman's head. Is, do we, or, you know, how many stones there are on um, Morecambe Beach? Or, you know, are these, these are truths. Uh, you know, do, do they, should we still try to attain these for the sake of having that information, or do you recognise there are some truths that are just not 
instrumental, not valuable? Or I do believe that the more truths that we understand, the more accurate of a worldview we have of reality. So I want to know, if possible, how many hairs are on his head, how many rocks are on the planet or whatever, because I do think that it gives us a more accurate view of reality. Now, I'm going to push back against this a little bit, because one of the okay. biggest problems that I see um, is processing. It's not just having data or having information. It's having the ability to actually process that information as well. Um, and one of the problems I see with this sort of um, desire or this need, which is quite common, it's not like, strange or anything. It's, you know, you, you see it pop up quite a lot um, with just collecting data for the sake of collecting data is that you just end up with piles of information and no one really knowing how to connect all the dots, no one really knowing how to process it just because we don't have the processing power to be able to do so. And that, that that can lead to a nihilism, to this being overwhelmed. We have information, but we don't know anything about it. We've just got it. It's, it's on a hard drive somewhere. And I would say that's the difference between data, information, and knowledge. I would say that data is just a whole bunch of symbols, and you can get a whole bunch of data that doesn't mean anything. But then once you have a conscious agent, you can start transferring that data into information and once yeah. that agent truly understands the information to its full utilization, they have knowledge. Okay, but then do you not uh, see that there's a bit of a, like, an endless hill here? That where, because I, I, for me, I look at the world, I see it as, like, in and of itself, utterly incomprehensible. I, I see it as a very... Um, sort of naive mission. I don't mean that in, a, in an offensive way, in the sense of trying to okay. achieve this knowledge of the world in a comprehensive manner. I think at the moment already, we already have a lot of information. Um, and it, for the majority of the populace, this doesn't seem to be making them wiser per se, um, just more overwhelmed, if anything, by the sheer amount of it and the lack of time, because they're, they're heavily aware of their own mortality. I have X amount of years to live, and, you know, if I try to process this information, have I got enough time or do I have to specialize in a particular field? And then if I do specialize, am I not like sort of putting uh, a lot of trust and a lot of faith in all of the other areas that I'm not specializing in? Um, like, wh what does it mean to, you know, if you've got these individuals which do specialize in particular subjects and maybe they do have a sort of general understanding of the very thing that they've studied, but they don't have enough time to be able to link that into other parts of the world or in the other parts of knowledge, then have they ever really, who, who is it that's experiencing this, this quote unquote knowledge in, you know, in, in its holistic sense? Well, we're going through a little bit of a weird time. We have never had more information at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And yet you are right in that it seems like people are, not exactly looking up encyclopedias of information. They're more looking up memes and stuff. Yeah. And so I think we're kind of at like a little bit of a wild west of the internet. I think it's going to take maybe dozens of years, if not more, for us to really start understanding where bad sources of information come, where good sources of information come, and for us to really be... Uh, to maximize the absorption of the internet and all this information that's kind of pouring out of our orifices. Can I, can I just, so to answer, I think just 
Yeah, just just to to link this directly to to the topic in as short time as as we possibly could, because we have a guest coming on in a bit. Um, sure. I think the idea is what I what I asked you is what why why we value truth, and I asked you why whether you're an instrumentalist about it, what whether you know that this truth seeking is meaningful as far as it is useful, uh, and essentially that's going to take us from this question to what it is for something to be useful, what it is to value usefulness and let's say happiness. What is what what is it that is so valuable about the stuff, the biological aspects that you mentioned about us or the evolutionary aspects that is that transforms from just a simple physical process to something that you say is our purpose and our meaning. And I, I, I think the issue is that First of all, that's a normative claim. It's not science is descriptive, so you're using a descriptive field that describes the physical processes in the world, and from that, you're uh, you're adding some kind of normative uh, uh, aspect to, uh, to 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 the descriptive aspect by saying that this is our purpose, this is our meaning, and I think the problem with that is if you are a materialist, if you are a reductive materialist. Or if you are an atheist, uh, I, I want to hear what meta narrative or what uh, you know what story you have to tell me about the world. Since you, I, I don't want to assume what you are, but if you are, uh, if you are an empiricist, or if you 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 believe that science is the best way to achieve th truth, what is that fundamental aspect of reality that gives these normative claims? any worth at all like what is it that makes these things meaningful and why should we seek truth and why should we know these things uh, so i guess i'll answer why should we seek truth first i think i guess i'll say what i said and then expand on it because you're saying why should we seek truth and there could be a man or a woman who, who has made the emotional decision and said, I am not going to seek truth. I am just going to believe falsities. And some way or another, they are able to make it through life. I don't know how, but they are able to be successful. I think, and I believe that I could uh, go show statistics to uh, follow this up, that when you actually have a a view that corresponds to reality. When you say I'm going to, I'm not going to put my hand on the stove because it's hot. I'm not going to burn my hand. That that person has a higher chance of survival and a decent life than the person that is just going to go. I don't care about truth. I don't care about what corresponds to reality or really being part of the universe. And I'm just go. I'm not going to look in traffic. I'm just going to. Uh, I mean, sorry, I, I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to stick to this thought before you move on to the next point. But aren't you here? You're, there's a hidden premise here. It's that survivability or, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, avoiding harm matters. I mean, there's just that hidden premise where there is some kind of, uh, value you're assigning to survivability and what is it if you're going to reduce truth to descriptive aspects of life what is it about these descriptive aspects that gives value to survivability see i would say it's the fundamental it is why we are here in the first place 
We have no, we had no choice but to be summoned here. And our whole goal is to be a successful organism. Like on our cellular level, that is our whole goal. And consciousness is the mechanism by which that takes place. And it, I no, guess our it, body it is, is just hoping it does it. Yeah, it just seems to me that on a cellular, cellular level, that's just what happens in terms of the physics when you break it down. And the biology, there's just a bunch of these, you know, uh, biochemical reactions that we describe. And, and that's, that's just the fact of the matter. If, if, you're, if, if, if you are a, a – a, um, if you do, be, do believe that science is the way to truth, science is a descriptive – enterprise right it is a descriptive exercise where it just describes the world so you you jumping you making a leap from that to that's why we're here that's our goal that that adds this normative aspect i'm talking about can I'm, I, I'm what i'm yeah can i push back because i think even though so my first premise the most important premise for consciousness was that we have to gather food i don't think that's optional i think that is descriptive i do not think that it is prescriptive i think if we do not do our main meaning we will die uh, amy i think what abdul is trying to say he's trying to explain this point which is that you're saying okay at the base level of human beings is the need to survival but we could reduce human beings and multicellular organisms even further. We could say the baser level of these multicellular organisms is just matter in motion. Or we could say that the fundamental reason why life exists is because we just happen to be in the middle stages of entropy changing from, you know, low entropy to a high entropy state. And we're just in a very complex uh, entropy uh, and energy uh, environment and that just happens to give and uh, produce life so we can break it down even further so all we are is just simply matter in motion you know energy flowing from one form of entropy one state of entropy to another state of entropy and that's it exactly why does that need preserving exactly why is that meaningful exactly why should we be therefore care about truth i i feel like uh, you're looking for something that is i guess you're going to say because i don't feel that it is merely objective or relative i feel like it's somewhere in between and so there's not something in the stars saying we need to eat. We need to be logical. We need to be moral. That I don't think you're going to find. I think you're going to find logical reasons for why we do what we do and why we are driven to this, especially with consciousness. I don't think even though fungi, you know, they need to gather energy. They aren't conscious and they have completely different experiences and don't need to care about truth or anything like that. And yet they're still doing the yeah. same thing. And they're very successful. So, sorry, Amy, I, to... I think, I think that's, that's oh, precisely on. the point. That's precisely the point that you're not going to find any of that in the stars. I mean, that's, mm. that's kind of the point. So that's kind of inconsistent with what you're telling us about. This is what we should do. This is why we're here. This is our purpose. I don't think you have what a choice. I'm saying is that if, 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 if uh, fine. So you're just you're saying it's just instrumental in the sense that it's just something that you just instinctively react to. 
I feel like if you don't do the, it really is our purpose. Like it is descriptive. And I feel like basically our bodies are allowing us to do whatever we want as long as we fulfill our primary missions. So is, is morality descriptive? Morality is situational and depends only on conscious creatures. Yeah, but the, so, so let's say torturing babies for fun is wrong. Is that a, an objectively true statement? I would say that's 99.9% .9 until there's that one Saw movie where it's like torture the baby or we destroy all 9 billion people on the planet. Yeah, but why though? So that's the question, right? I, so yeah, I, I get yeah, that. Yeah, Abdul, you also said for fun. You also said for fun. For fun, for fun, yeah. So, so I guess, I guess, what I'm asking is, right? So, so that statement is it descriptive that killing babies for fun is wrong? Is it descriptive of the physical? It, it depends entirely on agents. I, I'm not. Uh, when it comes to morality, I am somewhere in between. I know that's a weird position to hold, but I believe that it. It's entirely based on the agents involved and the situation. So are you saying that there can be a situation where torturing babies for fun is okay? Morally acceptable? Well, you're saying torturing baby Is that the end of it? Torturing babies for fun? Then no. So there isn't. So this is an this is, a, is this an objective fact about reality? It couldn't be the case that torturing babies for fun is morally acceptable. I don't know. Can you think of a method? Can you think of any scenario at all in which torturing a baby well, for fun would be well, beneficial see, to the human race? There, there is yeah, one. Well, so there was um, an well, author. There wrote, there, so there was an author who wrote a really interesting book, and basically you have this utopia, and in this utopia, it's a fictional book, obviously, um, but it, it, it was an interesting one that sort of led to some interesting questions. And basically, everyone in this utopia lives this perfect life. Everyone's happy. No one suffers. Um, and then there's one person who's like on an adventure, and then ends up finding out that the thing that sustains the happiness of this. Um, this city is this elaborate machine in which there is um, a constant cycle of babies being tortured um, in this machine, and that this sustains the city and it yeah, sustains. Yeah, I find that evil. Yeah, yeah. So it's that, but um, there's like one baby each time or something, and it's for that the the greater happiness of the whole city. And then the question is, is like, what do you do there? Do you, like and. So one, I think the person in the story, it's an interesting, I need to find out the author. Um, and I think the character in the story just leaves and can't be there anymore. Um, but they don't necessarily stop it from happening um, or something along them lines. But so th this is th th like the question, I guess if you move towards utilitarianism, it's like, well, how do you do that here? So long as you can keep it secret from the main, you know, the, um, the vast populace, and they don't know about it and it doesn't affect them um, other than giving or increasing pleasure for the maximum amount of people. If you can set up a weird, you know, obviously it's very um, unlikely and it's a very extreme example, um, but it sort of pushes to the limit certain, certain philosophies in terms of... Yeah, um, and I think, um, I think there, and Amy, so following up on what, 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 what Yusuf has said, just very quickly, I think there are two problems with your answer, right? The pr first problem, is, you said, is there a situation where it's for the benefit of humanity? Well, the first problem is right now we're moving from from is torturing babies for fun always wrong to is it uh, is is the benefit of humanity uh, 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 you know a moral goal that we should we should be trying to achieve but at the same time there's a bigger problem with what you said so what you're basically I'm not I don't want to put your words in your mouth I'm just saying what I'm what I'm understanding okay. from you is that 
if you torture a baby for fun and that's good for the rest of mankind, then that's morally acceptable. Is Would you say that? I would not say that. I would say that I don't believe in absolutes. I don't think you can get to 100% certainty into almost anything. And that's okay with me. You know, uh, what's it called? Hand sanitizer, 99.9% .9 effective. Yeah, I, am, yeah, Amy, I, I get you. I get you, Amy. But I think you want to be... You want to make an absolute statement here that torturing babies for fun is wrong, regardless of what it benefits or doesn't benefit. You want to make the absolute statement that it is objectively wrong to torture babies. I'm saying there are certain implications to that absolute statement. And I, I mean, e even if I wanted to get there, I just don't think you can. And I, if I could push back a little, which I know you guys haven't brought up, I don't believe, in fact, Eddie at all, I don't think that theistic morality is objective. I don't, I, I know you guys but believe you, that, and I know you me, haven't brought it up. Me, Amy, but if you ask me, Amy, is torturing babies for fun wrong? I'll tell you yes 100% of the time, and I'm certain of that. That's an objective fact. I don't have a problem saying that. I think but why? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's what I would ask you. <laughs> so I would say that objective morality has a grounding, and I would provide that grounding on a theistic worldview, I, I'm saying that the problem you're having here in saying, and in, in the reason you're trying to say that something that is so obviously absolutely true, 100%, is not. The reason you're providing that, you know, that skepticism at the end of your statement is because the implications of the statement is that there is a normative, objective truth about reality. And that's very hard. It's a very hard pill to swallow on materialism or on naturalism, or if you, if, if you think that science is the way primary uh, method to achieve tr truth if not then you're i think you can provide us with a different method a different theory on you your say i want to order. sorry you, you say want, you sorry. want to uh but i would say i don't want to provide 100 percent certainty to anything i don't know anything in my life that i can give you to 100 percent certainty that doesn't mean i'm a solipsist or that i'm crazy it means so, I just proportionate I mean, I mean, evidence about, for the 99. What about that one thing that you, so can you say you know with certainty that there's nothing in life you know with 100% certainty? Is that something that you can say is 100% certain? <laughs> I feel like that's almost a loop because once you say that, then it doesn't become, a, I would say I'm 99.9% .9 certain that there is nothing 100% certain. Okay, so there is a possibility yeah. that it's not the case. I, I, so, I mean, you could reason, convince reason, me otherwise. I'm just convinced. I mean, I'm sorry. So just so we can finish off, Amy, I think the reason you're not 100% certain, I think that's a just such a byproduct of your worldview. The problem is, I think generally we know that kill it, torturing babies for for fun is morally uh, uh, unacceptable 100% of the time. And I think we generally know that we're 100% sure about that. The, the reason skeptics want to be 99% sure about that is because of their epistemology and their world, their, 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 the, the, the foundational worldview that basically, uh, you know, drives these, these, uh, these, these moral values that they have. And I think the implications of the worldview really just reflect the problems with, with the fundamental worldview that, that you have. And, and uh, I mean, of course, you can provide us with with your method of 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 you know how you would how would you you would you would account for an objective morality on atheism, but I or or on whatever uh, worldview you have. I think I know it's complicated, but uh, but I think that uh, you don't even want to commit to that. 
is actually a testimony where it's actually it actually uh, points to the idea that you kind of realize the implications of the problem. But you're saying a hundred percent. But when I gave, when I asked you, there is no examples. I can't formulate any example in which torturing a baby would then actually be for the benefit. We started to go into scenarios. I actually think the example that Yusuf gave, I would not give into if I found out that a utopia was killing babies not and killing, that was what sustained it. Yeah, that's still inconsistent. Amy. So, because what, what you're what what you're saying is, uh, is there a scenario where uh, where torturing babies for fun is for the benefit of mankind, as if that situation would suddenly make torturing babies for fun in that situation acceptable? But then, at the same in the same breath, you're saying that I still wouldn't accept that that's, that torturing babies for fun. It in that wouldn't situation make it moral, but it could make it well, so a more would, moral situation. So what I, I'm asking, what is there a situation you can conceive of at all that so would make torturing babies for fun? We put for fun. Moral. We put a million babies. We put a million babies just in a giant crib, and we say if we don't torture this one baby, at for fun, then these million babies are going to be tortured for fun. Okay, so in that okay, so right now, so right now you're saying that in that situation, it would be morally justified to torture the one baby. I would say if you only have one or the other choices, in other words, a baby has to be tortured in this situation. It's one or the other. Someone has a gun to your head and is making the choice. Do I 99.9%. .9 I think it is evil to torture babies. Whoever is in the scenario that is torturing the baby is evil. We're we're just creating crazy scenarios to test where our limits. Are. I, I'm, well, I'm so, thinking. Are you okay, so let me let me just let me. Okay, I just want to deconstruct that because I think I what he's saying is not. And I'll come back on more episodes. <laughs> what yeah. I wanted to understand, sorry, Abdul, is that what are you trying to say that there's a foundational idea which transcends materialism, which is true in all possible scenarios? Yes, I, I want to say that, views. and even even on the basis of the example she just gave, the analogy yeah. she just gave. So, so the problem is there's right there right now saying torture one baby or a hundred babies get tortured, right? The the thing in this situation, she's not saying that it's moral moral to torture the baby. She is actually acting on the basis of the fact that it's immoral to torture babies, right? So so it's what what she's saying what 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 she's saying is moral here is not the torturing of the baby, but the fact that she is preventing the torture of babies so there's a bit of a trick there it's not that you're saying that in this case it's morally acceptable to torture the baby it's still wrong you're talking about a choice where you're forced to choose between two evils the evils are still both evil right so still even in that situation you'll have to say that torturing babies for fun is evil that one baby that got tortured is still evil. So you still want to say that it is objectively wrong to torture babies and there is no situation you can conceive of where it is morally acceptable to torture a baby for fun. Uh, keeping in mind as well, I didn't add to that, oh. the fact that this one, this case, it's not for fun really because, because you have a purpose behind it. But then even if I'm going to grant you that, it's still not that you're saying the torturing of the one baby is okay. It's that you want to prevent the torture of babies. So still, my point See, stands. But I would also push back. It's not It's not transcendent because of a god. It's tr it is because I don't like babies being killed. It's because I love all humans. I love all life. And that I don't want to see someone in pain in 
uh, and pointless too, and pointless pain yeah, and suffering. Yeah. I, I think, I think, yeah, okay. I mean, I think, I think we need to move on, but I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I respect it that. It was lovely then, talking again, to you guys. Again, yeah, it was, it was lovely Thank talking you. to you too. And uh, and please, please come on in future shows. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah, Thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah, the next show is going to be on consciousness in two weeks' time, so you might find that interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for for coming on. Uh, we'll move on to our next Bye guest. Guys. Uh, thanks, mate. I, I so yeah, so I think just as a just as a quick point as well, I, I think the, I think Amy gives the example or demonstrates how the underlying sort of fitri, yeah, the innate nature uh, presupposes almost like there is certain religious transcendental values and meanings. But then when you try to reduce that to saying about atheism and ground it, it doesn't really have a grounding for it. That, that's how I, how I sort of sense this, that, that we want to say there are absolute moral values. We want to say human life has value. We want to say that what we do has, should have meaningful impact. But then when you reduce that under a materialistic atheistic paradigm, it sort of loses those those meanings yeah there, there was two things i sort of wanted to add it then it's a shame um she had to well, we've got to sort of move on obviously for time constraints yeah. um but the, the first thing was that like alhamdulillah that she believes that this thing is is morally wrong but the problem with that sort of morality is if you get to a person who doesn't believe who sort of sits in the same thing and doesn't have that desire for not want because there are people who are um the, the, the only word I know is the German one, the Schadenfreude. Like, they, you know, they, they take pleasure in other people's pain, pain, um, malicious. There are people like that. Now, what when you have someone who lacks that um, empathy, who lacks that desire for the, the ceasing of other people's pain, and they continue to live in that sort of framework, then what happens is you open up the possibility of them causing that pain. Because, you know, for them, it's like, you know, I don't care. It, so what there's a there was a video floating around um on twitter and obviously these are extreme cases but that they're, they're not non-existent they are there um there was a man who set fire to a kitten covered it in petrol set fire to it and then he just recorded and watched it running around on fire until it eventually it died and and then he uploaded it onto the internet and then that made rounds on twitter and there was no remorse in him like he did not care and it crushed me watching it and now the, the thing is, is like, you can't get away with that kind of thing within like a, a certain like framework. Like Islam, for example, the man, the, the woman who was, for all intents and purposes, everyone considered her a pious woman, but she used to torture her cat. Mm. And for that, she was sent to hell. You don't get away with these things. Like, so what if you don't feel like you care about this animal? So what if you don't have that, um, that you know, that desire to prevent the pain unnecessarily to other beings be that a baby or a you know a small animal um like amy has she, she has that feeling she has that empathy um but other people don't and how do you then combat this issue obviously this is separate from the argument of proving the existence of god etc we're simply talking here about the consequences of certain frameworks yeah and you know obviously this is not and i, I want to make that clear to the viewers here um this in and of itself is not an evidence for god this is just simply talking about a problem that's present in certain um, frame of minds. And, and the other problem that I wanted to hone in on um, was this notion that truth necessarily leads to a better life. But th that, you know, as if there's only truths that bring happiness, as if there's only truths 
that bring a you know an improvement to the quality of life but there's i think there's enough evidence to show that it isn't like all you need to do the more truths you find out about the condition of the palestinian people for example that's not something that improves your quality of life that's something that breaks you down something that tears your heart apart the more you learn about the condition of certain people living in Africa, you know, when you've, you see these photos, of these children that are in droughts or famine and they're starving, this isn't something that, um, that makes them feel better. This is something that reduces the quality of life. It makes you feel worse. And so it, it, it's not this case that only like truths themselves and alone will make you feel better or make your life better necessarily. It can be the opposite. It can be that it turns out life is suffering, that life is horrible, that life is is hell. And, you know, and a, a light being sh shone on that uh, can be something that makes the, the quality of life of the person that is revealed, these facts are revealed to deteriorate. But hello, Issan. Sorry. I was, uh, Hi, Hello. Hi, Shari. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. Good to see you again, Yusuf. Uh, oh, you've got, a, you've got an epic echo. Have reminds on. me of, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you're in a cave, a cave of wonder. Uh, okay. Plato's cave. Yeah. Um, That's, okay. Is that any better? It, uh, you know what it no. sounds like? It's, it sounds like uh, one of them cheesy nasheeds where they, they add the... <laughs> and the reverb. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know what it is, but um, I mean, I... I, it's manageable. It's just yeah, yeah. But the problem is, if if I think when if you speak in longer sentences, it might no. uh, be a bit uh, difficult. Let's let's just see how it goes. That's I guess. better. Yes. That's better. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, Hassan, just tell us uh, what what you believe, uh, and what's your thoughts about this particular topic. But what 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 is it that you 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 follow? You believe? Um, okay, um, I'm an atheist, and okay. um, um, I think. You talk about nihilism. I would say that um, to be an uh, to be an atheist, you have to accept like a soft degree of nihilism in that there is no external meaning to your life. Um, there is no external appointed um, goal or direction you have to follow. It is one that you um, you should choose. Uh, one you choose for yourself. Um, so, in that way, it's totally subjective. Uh, we all have our different goals, different intentions in life, and and for, for that purpose, um, it may, one person's choice of what they wish to do with their life may seem pointless or meaningless to somebody else, uh, but it, um, uh, but then the opposite view uh, could be, could seem meaningless and pointless to somebody else. So, you know, I would think that um, spending all my my whole life in religious devotion, I would see, would be a waste of my life. Um, whereas you would probably see it differently. Yeah. So okay. So Ehsan, um So you. There's a number of ways that we can uh, address this. Uh, one of the ways would be probably is uh, how do you do you do you believe your life is meaningful? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I'm giving on myself. Um, in what in what way do you see your life is meaningful? meaningful in that um, I enjoy life, um, I enjoy family, um, I've got a responsible job that improves people's lives if I do it well. Okay. Um, so yeah, this gives me meaning in that, uh, oh. in that respect. Okay, so in terms of, let's say, for example, if you're doing an action, what, what job do you do, sorry? 
a doctor. Right. So let's say you've got a patient and you do something and it helps the patient out. Uh, you would probably uh, gather some sort of meaning from that. You'd, you'd feel that's a meaningful action. I've yeah, helped this yeah, person I feel like out. I've done something yeah. beneficial, yeah. Does that, meaning, uh, does that meaning go beyond that person's life? Meaning that you've helped that person and then that person dies, or is it just within the time frame of that person's life, the act it's being meaningful? That, it's within that time frame, and then if they've got family and friends, then it will obviously impact on them. And yeah. if, you know, and the, you know, the wider community with uh, uh, people being um, happier if we all help each other in that regard. Yeah. So in essence, you're saying that it's me an act is meaningful when it helps somebody out and even if that person dies it still maintains meaning be i meaningful if it if it affects other people yeah not necessarily because um i'd say um even if it brings only a personal happiness a personal improvement um like um do more exercise for something then that's that, that's a meaningful act it doesn't so have who, to impact on anybody yeah. else. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is it's only meaningful based on the person's temporary life, isn't it? After that, it's not, not meaningful. Not, yeah, no, yeah like, well, once we all die, on the end of it, does it not? So, so the, the analogy human, I would make... Once the human race disappears, then uh, there's nothing else, um, you know. Meaningful, yeah. And I think yeah. that's, the, that's the issue. Can is I make an analogy? Yeah, uh, just really quickly, I'll just... And then I'll bring yourself in. So, in essence, what you're saying is, is that on a on a fundamental level, the meaning only exists temporarily for for humanity, and then outside of humanity, once humanity ends, you know, whatever in distant future, then ultimately those actions that we did perform on a foundational level were meaningless. I wouldn't say they were meaningless uh, because they had they had a meaning, but they had a temporary temporal meaning. So what, um, yeah. there is no meaning beyond that point, yeah. Right. Yeah, so and I think the, Yusuf wanted to come in, yeah. Yeah, so this is where the analogy really helps. So uh, uh, do you play games? This yeah, I play some games, yeah. What games do you play? Uh, flight simulation games, mainly. Uh, did you ever play anything like Skyrim or anything, like you know, these epic adventure yeah. ones? Or? Yeah, I played, uh, when I was younger, yeah, I used to play a lot more computer games, yeah. Now, for me... Insofar as you you sort of move towards this, um, and again, th this isn't an argument either way. It's just we're talking about necessary consequences of a particular worldview here. Um, now, if you move towards an atheistic one, where you sort of you you lack belief in God, you don't you're more convinced of the idea that the underpinning of reality is a sort of uh, there's no consciousness at bottom, that it is fundamentally just dead matter interacting with each other in whatever way it does. And this gives rise to the um, the illusion of consciousness, or you know, to this illusion of self within certain parts of the cosmos, and they experience what we understand as the conscious experience. Um, when you, when you have all of this, it becomes very much like a computer game. Um, now, with Skyrim, one thing that I used to see is when I would play it, I would get this overwhelming sense of meaning especially when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was much more naive, I was younger, and I could forget the world, I could become yeah. ingrained in this, and I could become the, you know, the dragonborn, like I was him, I was out there battling dragons, I had my, uh, my sick armor, I was a level 100 this, blah, 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 and it felt so meaningful, 
when I was going through it, it felt amazing. Like I, I can't describe the experiences that I had as as a younger person playing these games. Um, even like when I was a lot younger playing Sonic and things like that. And these are like really poor quality games compared mm. to the things you get now. But I, I would get this severe sense of meaning. Now, I, now in hindsight, that is in as time has gone on and that that experience sort of becomes distant. What I end up having is this realization that I wasn't that that, that meaning was an illusion. It was that, you know, that it was as you say it was temporal and, and once it loses its meaning in one that is once you gain uh consciousness of what it was that you were actually doing that it was ultimately pointless that it robs it of meaning that what it is is you you come to the realization that the whole thing was pointless that, that it didn't matter Not and necessarily no no it no it, it, it necessarily you pleasure at the time and if it brought you pleasure it could have brought some happiness so but it also brings it, melancholy after. Not all the time. It depends on depends what it is. We, we all oh, have yeah, yeah, hobbies. It, it, uh, you know, if you some people, if you imagine I enjoy a game of darts, then when that game of darts is over, um, nothing has changed, changed to the world, but I've enjoyed that half an hour of playing darts and I'm yeah, yeah, happier no. for it afterwards. So. That's is somewhat like so. I, I chose Skyrim specifically because it's it, you've got this whole narrative, this life, you are the center of this universe almost. You're yes. the dragonborn. You've got this epic thing, and it's in that moment, you're experiencing it's a distraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if it's temporary distraction, if it brings some happiness, even if you know it's going to end, then uh, you know, yeah, that, that that has a value and a meaning in itself. See, I disagree. So, for me, okay. even that happiness, it, like it was short lived, and it was just me being naive, okay. it was me being engrossed maybe. in a fantasy. Maybe and, if I give an example or something. Uh, you know, I don't know what your favourite food is, um, but I absolutely love a lasagna and I, I like a chocolate cheesecake as a dessert. So um, I know that's temporary. That will eventually rot. Um, but I know I say it's temporary. I will enjoy it. I know it will you know, come out the other end as something completely different in a couple of days' time. Um, but um, it will give me that temporary temporary pleasure. And um, even, if, um, even if we know something will end, so you know, I enjoy driving my car. I know my car will end up on a scrap heap one day, uh, but it, it's not. Its purpose in life isn't to end up on a scrap heap, um, and I will enjoy it while I've got it. Yeah. See, even then, I, I still see it as this illusion. Like, it, and you can live in it and you can enjoy it for the moment, but any sort of consciousness on the actual experience of it, in hindsight as well, it for me personally, anyway, I, I get this deep sense of melancholy for it. When, when you look at it, it's like all of that time, I can't help but feel it was wasted. Uh, what other things could I have done? What better things could I have done? What, you know, could I have not have spent my time here doing something more productive uh, or this, that, and the other? And, and I think when it comes to, to life in general, um, that, that this is something that can always creep up and that often does, regardless of what it is that you chose to do. And especially when you sort of live with this understanding of the world being at foundation, uh, just dead matter, um, life just seems arbitrary. Choice becomes random. Like it's, it, yeah, just driven by pointlessness. And you, can't, you, you don't even get to a point where you understand what's driving you anymore um, other than these like base desires. I don't know. Like, for me, it, it becomes equivalent to the computer game. Life becomes meaningless in, in, in its totality 
um, and it, and it robs any pleasure that you can have from these um, miniature experiences or these these minute well, that, experiences. I mean, that goes by what we said earlier, which is where we all have our subjective opinions that are different. Um, and I, I said how living my life called, um, to religious devotion would be, in my opinion, pointless and, I, um, and a waste of my life. But you know, you'd see it differently. Uh, yeah. So we're all, you know, we're all different people. But the reason why we see it differently, and I think there is a way we, we can sort of sort of understand this, you know, in a way which is, you know, to a certain extent, even for a person who's not a Muslim can understand this point. When I gave the example before earlier about you doing an action or I'm doing an action for a patient or whatever it is, to help that patient out, we feel meaning from that. And then we say, well, that meaning can is not just within the lifespan of that particular individual, but also can be transported to the next because it may have an impact upon the wider human beings. But the problem is, is that it's transient. Now, when a Muslim does an action, whether that's helping another person out, whether that is, uh, you know, uh, any relationships that they perform in their life, they believe that it is not transient. It doesn't have an ultimate foundation of it being meaningless in the grand scheme of things, yeah? But rather because it is, you know, we believe in a creator, an eternal being that holds us to account for these actions, then the grand scheme of things is that every action is meaningful. Yeah, it's yeah, not I, transient. I see your yeah? point, but that, that is entirely dependent on believing your faith in the first place. So, Agreed, know, that, it is. And this is not yeah. an argument. This is not necessarily an argument. But what, what can be an argument is this, is that within human beings, there is this innate desire not to look for transient meaning or transient happiness. Yeah, or, you know, temporary purpose. We're looking for grounding for our meaning, yeah? We're looking for something that uh, transcends, yeah? Something that's permanent rather yeah. than something that's transient. Now, I that's something I, atheism can't offer. This is no, probably I, I, where a person would then think, well, hold on. If as a human being I have this desire to look for permanence and this atheism doesn't offer it, then I've really got to look at this question about you know, uh, theism and uh, God claims yeah, for different sure. religious beliefs. I, I totally understand and I can see why theism and God claims um, are attractive to um, a lot of people, not that it makes it uh, true in any way, um, but it certainly has an attraction towards humans and it's why religions have evolved, um, you know, the many thousands of religions evolved over thousands of years because people have had this yearning for something beyond their own life. Um, yeah, and, and the, that know, meaning, I'm... and that mean, and that is an interesting point here, is that that attribute, that innate disposition within human beings, is not necessary to human beings. It's not something we don't need to have it. This is not something that is necessary to the very definition of a human being that we need to, as an organism, have the desire for permanence and meaning. Yeah. So there is something, regardless of the human condition, that's not necessary for the product of materialism which at the same time pushes us to go and look at things beyond just the temporary transient material realm. That's, yeah, that's part of you know, humanity. People, uh, people uh, adhere to the thought of immortality and anything beyond their own life, uh, but that's entirely separate of whether it's uh, true or not. Just to yeah, interrupt it, I, I need yeah. to go pray Maghrib quickly because um, okay. we're running out of time. Uh, so yeah. 
I'm just going to go do wudu and pray, and then I'll be back in a moment. Okay, no problem. So, so this, so this is the first thing. First thing is, is that atheism leads to this problem of nihilism. Yeah. The second yeah. problem is regards to the ability to make moral choices. So I assume, as a doctor, you did your Hippocratic oath. Yeah. 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 And can I just say, yeah, I was just coming back. You know, we talk about nihilism before you move on to morality and stuff. And you talk yeah. about um, um, atheism. I mean, uh, what I one of the description that I example I gave is if you imagine that you're lost in a cave, and the theist is somebody who is absolutely certain that they will be rescued, and they are part, they they are happy and positive um, from that. Whereas the atheist is somebody who isn't sure they'll be rescued from the cave, and they can be a bit depressed by that. Um, so theist would be happy, but none of that means that you actually will be rescued from the cave because that's entirely separate from your outlook. Yeah, but I don't think that's necessarily analogous in this example. Okay. I think the analog the analogy would be is is that if you as a doctor were going to provide a particular treatment, let's say a particular diet, you yeah. provide a diet that's in accordance to the usefulness of the human body. Yeah, you'd have given the proteins, the fiber, the fats, the carbohydrates, you know, the vitamins and minerals, etc. Yeah. So in the same way, if you're going to have a system that you're going to live by. You're going to live by a system that's in accordance to the human nature. Now, that human nature doesn't want to seek out transient, you know, temporary actions. It wants to have meaningful purpose. So the system has to be meaningful and purpose, purposeful. This is why at the beginning of the show, we were talking about Frederick Nietzsche and how Frederick Nietzsche, he was talking about mythology, the need for a mythology. Yeah. Now, he's yeah, recognizing this. Yeah. Now, you just yeah. be very clear, son. When he's talking about mythology, he's not talking about necessarily fiction. Yeah, he's talking about something that's transcendental. Yeah, something that just goes beyond just simply the mundane or just simply, you know, it talks about a meta narrative, meaning the mm -hmm. overall narrative, how human beings yeah. are in order exactly. to ground meaning. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, so this know, is I've, the I've problem studied. with atheism. So if you, it's not just about it makes a person happy because they're theist, it's rather atheism contradicts human nature. Yeah, I mean, so this is why uh, um, humanity has uh, has you know brought up all these religions and beliefs over time because they're out of humanity's goal to search for that. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, you, you know, it depends on whether you uh, would believe in that um, or not. And neither and the yearning for this kind of external um, meaning, um, yeah, external uh, meaning or anything that's beyond life. Um, is is very attractive, and I can understand why you know religions and all these yeah. factors have grown up like that. But um, as I say no, none of that's to do with um, any truth claim. And for somebody who isn't convinced, um, then once you are not convinced that there is an afterlife, or then uh, you look for uh, what meaning you can provide here and what you can leave as a legacy for, say, after you've died, whether that is some. Um, an invention that people will use after you, or uh, some, you know, some legacy that will leave behind that makes yeah. people's lives better after you've died. But Hassan, the, the problem here is this: is that what you're, what you've given up, and then what you're trying to replace it with, isn't sufficient. And I'll tell you why: because nihilism doesn't just result in the fact that there's no grand purpose in life. You have something called moral nihilism. You have epistemic nihilism. Yeah, you're giving up not just you know the desire for permanency in your actions but you're giving up the ability to know truth to be moral to even have that desire 
to do something that's uh, you know objectively moral. So that desire to want there's to pass on to the next generation. Anyway, but What's that, I mean, there's no such thing as objectively moral, um, in my opinion. Um, do you, do you know, want to be moral? Would you like to? Do you, you'd like to see yourself as a moral agent? I, stri I strive to be as moral as I can. Yes, um, right, I definitely okay. do. Um, I mean, there's no um, outside moral, and you know, when you talk about theistic morality, I think if you're if you're doing something because you want to be rewarded in the afterlife or avoid a hell, then I wouldn't say that's moral because you're not doing it for its intrinsic value. You're doing that for rewards and avoiding. No, punishment. no, but what? Yeah, but just really quickly, what heaven and hell does is it creates permanency in terms of the uh, the the nature of your actions has implications, and it's not just a transient implication. Because if it's transient, then you lose that aspect of meaning and purpose. And the significance of your actions. So that's what yeah. heaven and hell gives it's just us. Just a control mechanism. That's yeah. what heaven. No, it's not control. It's about the fact that it gives us meaning and purpose. That relationship we have when we help a, a patient out. Yeah, and we're not like Do Dr. Harold Shipman type thing. Yeah, we're not giving him out loads of morphine because we see a permanence in our actions. That there is a moral value that's grounded in. The, the the creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's manifested in these things the second thing is this is that if you're going to give up objective moral values and you're going to say well no, there is no moral values but at the same time you desire you don't desire to be subjectively moral you desire to say no I believe that this is the moral actions to perform isn't it you're not saying no I, I'm just going to you know, not torture babies today because subjectively I don't feel like doing it. But tomorrow, who knows? Yeah, you're thinking, well, I have this desire to be a moral agent. That means that when I perform a moral action, I perceive it as being objective. And again, you're giving this up. It's not just like you're giving up, you know, general purpose, but you're now giving up morality itself. You fall well, into moral nihilism. There's enough, there's, there's enough, um, um, without a God, there's enough... Um, um, morality um, and I can do I mean I'm a humanist as well so that looks to that's philosophy to look for improving the um, maximum well-being of humanity so that's that's a philosophy in the same way a religious philosophy is and and you can say that if you take a religion and the religion says do this don't don't do that you can still choose to ignore that religion so it's just another moral framework it's not can, the I, can, frame, I, can, framework. I, can I intervene for a second if I think the problem here is not that we think you're a bad person or that you don't have morality. The problem is grounding morality on your worldview. That's, that's, that's really the issue. Oh, yeah. So the problem, it's a problem for us of inconsistency. If you're, if you're going to say right now that, you know, all morality is subjective uh, and that, uh, you know, if you're going to follow certain implications of your worldview, obviously, I don't know what your worldview is, but it seems through the way you're talking about subjective morality, about, uh, um, about you know, uh, objective meaning and how like existentialism, how we create our own meaning. It seems like that you're you're a kind of atheist that uh, that I think would uh, these questions would be applicable to. So I think the, the, it's not a question of whether you're a good person or not. It's a question of how we ground these moral values on a worldview that precludes them, right? So it precludes the obje objectivity of, for example, what I was talking to about the, with the previous caller that torture babies for fun is objective, objectively wrong, regardless of situation. There's no situation, regardless of, of circumstance, it's always going to be wrong, right? So so yeah. uh, we all know that, and we know that 
the atheist along with us is going to act upon that. So this is not a question of pragmatism here. It is a question of whether that fact is consistent with your metaphysics, with your view of reality, that there is this moral fact that exists out there. Exactly. So, so I, think you, I, think, I think you want to say that it's just more than a subjective opinion that you have in your mind that torturing babies for fun is wrong. I think you want to say it's a bit more than that. Yeah, I can, but um, yeah, I can because I can recognize sentient beings and uh, sentient creatures, and I know other uh, other creatures can feel pain and they have emotions and so all that. But you know, you could have uh, somebody, you know, a serial killer or something, and if you say to them, uh, you know, he's torturing babies wrong, and they will say, "Oh, I'm not sure." So <laughs> that's um, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody. Nobody, not everybody, will agree with you. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, that, not saying everybody the point. agree with me. And that's, yeah, uh, yeah the, the issue is, despite the fact that not everybody would agree with you, you want to say that it's objectively wrong regardless of circumstance, regardless yeah, of a so person's subjective opinion. It's mind independent, regardless yeah, of, yeah, yeah, it is a yeah, fact a that you can talk, is wrong. You, know, you could talk, you can ask a, you know, a Muslim, a Christian, a American Indian, Aboriginal, whether they would say it's you know, wrong to torture babies, and that I'm sure all of them would say it's wrong. So, it goes, so is it objective or is it sub? Yeah, is it objective or is it subjective? It it, it depends what you mean. Uh, what your goal is? If your goal is to improve well-being and um, to um, reduce suffering and to improve uh, well-being for other people, uh, then it's objectively bad. So that's subjective. Well, that's subjective. At the end you of the day, have that to agree in the first place. Listen, no, you say it's subjective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that means it's subjective, right? Because it depends on your subjective criteria, right? So that exactly, basically yeah, means so it's subjective. So what out. you're saying is that if you have a different criteria, then all of a sudden, it's 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 exactly. not more. So if if we if you brought on a serial killer here and said and you said and said and their objective was to cause the maximum suffering to other people, and then you said to them, "Is it wrong to torture babies?" They would say it isn't because they have a completely different criteria. Whereas, yeah, but uh, that's, that's uh, Ihsan, the way the way you're viewing it right, right now. What I'm trying to get to you is that the way you're viewing it right now, uh, in that you know you see it this way, and the serial killer sees it another way, and that kind of like gives lends some kind of credence to, to subjective morality. That is an implication of subjective morality. What I'm questioning is whether this subjective difference has any meaning or any impact on the fact that torturing babies for fun is wrong. In my view, it doesn't this difference of opinion plays no role and has no influence on the fact that torturing babies for fun is wrong, right? You're saying yeah. it does, and that's just an implication of your subjective morality, and I personally see that as problematic. You're basically saying it's mind-dependent. We could have evolved in a different way where torturing babies would have been okay, and I think the issue with that is like I can't convince you otherwise. The issue with that is that it's just so counterintuitive to the, the fact of reality that it, it regardless of what humans think or say, there are sort certain facts, normative mm. facts about reality that we all adhere to. So exactly. it's just an inconsistency, and you're just you're accepting this view of subjective morality and you're justifying it based on an implication of your worldview that shoves you into that corner of subjective morality that's kind of what we're saying so i, I, I don't think it's important it's yeah. subjective okay because i mean you could have i mean i've known people have done uh, you know terrible things i've known people who had brain tumors and from that brain tumor they thought their children were devils and they killed them for that and 
Um, but they thought they were doing the right thing because of their, their brain was deranged from the brain tumor. So, um, you know, it's people can think differently in different circumstances. I understand um, that, Sam, but this is the yeah. problem. This is what I'm saying is that what you're having to give up. On the one hand, you're saying that human beings have this desire or you have this desire to want to perform morally good actions. You made the oath on the, Hippoc the Hippocratic Oath. You signed the documents, etc., the Code of Ethics. You did all of these things. And at the same time, what you're saying is, though, but ultimately, this thing that I want to be, yeah, doesn't exist. It doesn't actually exist in an absolute sense in all possible worlds, if you want to use modal language, yeah? It doesn't really exist. It's just something that's in my mind. That's all it is. So again, one of the problems with quote-unquote atheism is this moral nihilism, I would say. Why do we value something that's like morality or truth? Why does a doctor value yeah, the desire to do good for a patient if it's all fundamentally subjective and it just depends upon his particular brain chemistry sure. guess, at that moment in time. I mean, there, there, you see, there's loads of um, you know, loads of reasons for that. I mean, all that outside, if you imagine that we evolved into civilizations and the cornerstone of civilization was to help each other, um, and uh, you know, it's a, you know, if you learn to help others, and they're more like to help you, so there's a selfish reason for yeah. to do these types of things. And that, that's that's but, the uh, this is my point. This, this is my point is that what you're trying to do yeah. is you're trying to say, well, we just evolved that particular way, yeah. And if we evolved in yeah. another particular way, where you know, like for example, a black widow spider eats its mate after mating with it, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, then that would be okay, that would be moral. That's not really saying anything that's about morality sense. because when we talk about morality, we're trying to talk about something that's mind independent to a certain extent, yeah. this idea I mean, that that's something that exists. Not just something that is just a product of the biological makeup of a human yeah, being I mean, or the product of matter in motion. Yeah, I mean, I mean morality comes with um, an advanced mind. So something like a black widow spider eating its mate or adult male lions killing infant lions, they don't really have the, um, the, you know, the consciousness. Yeah, but the, what's, the what's, that, what's that advanced mind trying to do? Is the advanced mind just simply trying to just keep you know reproducing the species that's it and it's just created this complex way of doing that or is the advanced mind trying to understand something that's objectively moral mind independent morality i, I think sharif i think because sure. I mean, there's there's a guest that's waiting but i think yeah Esan, to simplify things i think fine if you're going to be consistent the idea is that uh, i'm not going to force objective morality on you the idea is that the implication of your worldview is what you're saying that uh Torturing babies for fun is not objectively immoral. That's the implication of your goal. worldview. Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. So it's subjective. If you don't find that as problematic, that's fine. We can move on. But I mean, there, there, there are other aspects of, of nihilism as well that we were talking about. For example, your view that you know you should uh, 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 value life because of the meaning it gives you. That comes with certain problems as well. And and uh, what I think is that at the end of the day, you're going to have to build this sort of meta narrative for yourself in life that that is on the basis of your worldview delusional yes. and that's kind of inconsistent with you asking theists to you know not give in to their delusions so i think i think there there is a problem you, but you if you fall accept, in, yeah. yeah you fall Sorry, into this I'm... contradiction you fall into this contradiction what i was saying is that you have to have a meta narrative you have to create meaning 
the meaning yeah. itself is not foundational though it's not built yeah. upon anything yeah, yeah mean, it's you, like a, it's like I mean, building you a, a sandcastle on you in a yeah. way by your by your religion so uh, What's that, sorry? Like, you take you know if you follow a religion then you have the meaning imposed upon you uh whereas um i'm i'm, I'm not i don't think that way so i i think that's irrelevant way, I yeah that. i think what it is is that what tends to happen with atheists though is that they tend to turn around and say well these theists, these Muslims, they've got this delusion, this, that, and the other. But what Abdul's saying, Abdul Rahman is saying, is that actually atheists have to have delusions. Yeah, have to have mythologies that they create. It just happens to be that they create it in their own mind. And then they have this absurdity. Then they have this absurdity of saying, on the one hand, life ultimately is meaningless. Yeah, on the grand scale of things. But in the temp aspects of life, I'm going to say that there is meaning. Yeah, there yeah, is exactly. meaning helping I mean, like this who... patient who will ultimately die. Yeah, yeah. and then you create it's... this type of absurdity. As I said already, it's just like you know how I can I can enjoy driving my car even though I know my car will eventually end up in a scrap heap. Uh, so um, what the fact that yeah, so the enjoyment, absurd. enjoyment, <laughs> happiness is your meta narrative at this point. It's like happiness is the ultimate yeah. goal. That's your, that's your story. That, 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 yeah. That's your so story. Bring, so that's 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 a normative people. claim. Okay. So sorry, sorry. I, I want to say that's not a claim that is descriptive of physical reality. That's just a description of your experience. What I'm saying is that is there a way for you to ground that meta narrative or that story or that ultimate goal in this descriptive reality, for, so that you could like you know justify it in a way that wouldn't make you inconsistent when you ask theists to justify their stories about reality and their ultimate goals yeah um i'm just trying to touch on you gave the analogy of the person in, in, yeah. yeah you gave the analogy of the person in the cave who's loft and one person he feels happy that you know he's god will save him another person who's saying being realistic and say well he's just being happy but what you're doing is you're doing the same thing you're being that person in the cave and saying, well, because it makes me happy to drive a nice car, then I'll do that. <laughs> this is yeah. what we mean by the fact that you're both, yeah. you're, you're both on the equivalent plane. You're just, you're just holding on to a delusion that you know is a delusion. Theists believe rationally that there is a creator. You believe, yeah? Yeah, There's you a believe difference it. between said, the that's, two. That's separate from whether it's true or not. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But the yeah, least, well, well, you believe, you believe that believe. happiness matters. Yeah, we believe that, it. We believe it's opinion. rational. Somebody might not think that as well. Yeah, but you—you That's what the point is. That you have to be in this happy delusion of saying happiness matters to you. Yeah, to me. Yeah, but yeah, to you. But that's the happy delusion, and you recognize that's a delusion. Whereas for theists, we believe that we need to search out for meaning, and we need to use rationality in order to achieve that. Yeah, and, and there's there's another problem as well. So like, if happiness is all that matters when it comes to like dire situations, so like Viktor Frankl, um, he was a, a great example of this. Was there wasn't really much to be happy about in Auschwitz. Like there weren't many things going for them. And if happiness is what it's all about, then what you end up as is one of the um, the the people in Auschwitz. Basically, he describes this person just gives up. It just lies down and refuses to eat and he smokes his last cigarette and the guards come over and they start kicking him in that and he, he just basically wastes away on this floor um 
and and dies he gives up why because this notion happiness is what's matter and if you don't have happiness then life isn't worth living anymore whereas he found that this and wasn't the case for everyone though, there you, was you know if you look at people who are campaigning for euthanasia they uh you know they don't want to spend the rest of their life just in pain yeah. um, they would they would rather die so um you know that's that, so that's a different discussion when you talk about um and mm. if you if you see death as an you know an escape from constant pain um i know mean, I, I can sympathize with that so so yeah. son you've got was it uh uh existential nihilism this idea that ultimately your life doesn't have meaning under an atheist paradigm moral nihilism that everything's subjective in terms of uh you know it's just about one person who may differ to another person even though we want to ground the morality just your moral nihilism is more than that moral nihilism is um it's not just that it's subjective but that yeah, all yeah, moral claims are necessarily wrong um, so whether yeah, you say yeah, so, I, I, murdering I, I, someone is, yeah, yeah. If, if you say murdering someone is wrong, elaborate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you say murdering someone is wrong, th that would be factually incorrect. And if you say murdering someone is right, that would also be wrong or factually mm. incorrect. And it, they a they compare, moral. yeah. So they they compare um, moral discourse to like discourse like uh, on mm. like phlogiston. So you yeah. know the period of time when there was um, scientists meaningfully talking about phlogiston this, phlogiston that. Um, and then, you know, insofar as they thought it was, but it was a like it was an error. Hence the yeah, the, the, yeah, the name that ends up getting given to it is error theory. Um, and so they see I mean, moral discourse wrong, yeah. in the same way. So I just wanted to stress on that point because I felt like we were uh, kind of trying to equate between moral subjectivism and moral nihilism. So it's not they're not synonymous, but yeah. I think it's more of a question of whether moral subjectivism leads to moral nihilism within a certain worldview, whether, whether yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You know, on like, say, materialism or, or whatever other worldview uh, anyone here wants to discuss. So I'm, I'm just, yeah. so it's not that they're synonymous. We're just trying to see whether it leads to it on a certain worldview. And also, Esan, I think also the other problem that you're going to have under your particular worldview is epistemic nihilism. You, ha you, you won't have the ability to ground truth. That's another problem that you're going to have. Well, I so don't you can't... I there's no real ultimate truth anyway, so it's uh, that, that, that's one thing I um, that, that's one thing I you know I, I think. So you know you can have like truth as in you know how many um, how many stones are on a beach something like that. Uh, but when you when, when you talk with deistic ultimate truth, um, I I don't believe there is such a thing. Yeah, but okay. what I mean in essence when I when I'm saying that you won't be able to even ground truth, I'm not talking about the what's the true purpose of the universe i'm even saying the fact that you're going to have problems even being able to demonstrate that what your thoughts the decisions of your thoughts that you believe are rational are actually your thoughts that you're making a dis decision upon and rather than just simply that your thoughts are uh you know brain chemistry operating in a particular way and it just happens to be that you think you're looking at truth but you're not it's just your brain chemistry creating the illusion you won't have the ability to differentiate yeah. between the two. There's, there's a, obviously, you know, the con consciousness is a, you know, it's a, a big topic um, that, that's going on. But I wouldn't say that, uh, um, you know, this. I don't know whether you're going to bring up the concept of a soul or not. Uh, but um, even, you know, as an atheist, I can see that. Uh, I, I strongly suspect that 
most brain activity and what we see is the um, as consciousness is, is a result of brain processes but this did you see why this would result in uh, epistemic nihilism yes yes i can see why nihilism would uh, you know why epistemic it appear, so you wouldn't know that you what you're yes, sensing to be true, true is true yes so yes. therefore um, i wouldn't know but neither would, would you know anyway so th then that would that would be self-refutation of yeah. even saying that consciousness is created by brain states as well, because that's yeah. what you're trying to understand is true. Yeah. I mean, I've got my so senses, you would even refute and I that. can get an idea, but I can I can never be absolutely certain that, that my senses. No, absolutely certain. Yeah. No, no, no. And we're not, and, we're not uh, saying and neither can anybody. I'm else. not saying you need to be, Hassan, I'm not saying you need to be absolutely certain. I'm saying you can never be. You can't ground rationality at all, as a as an atheist under a materialistic paradigm that believes that consciousness is just simply brain states and brain states are just unconscious matter in motion, then you could not ground any rational truth, even that particular rational truth. You result in an epistemic nihilism. I cannot know truth. Okay. Um, I can never be absolutely certain that's true. Uh, but that's Not absolutely certain. I'm not saying you can be, look, somebody can turn around and say, well, I'm 99%. I'm saying you can't even be 99%. You cannot okay. say anything okay. about truth. Neither can anybody else. Even its no, probability. Neither yeah, but that, that's not, on that's that's on your worldview, Ehsan. That's an inconsistency your within your so worldview. You, you so, so we're saying everything. Then. No, no. So, you, so Sharif isn't talking. Sharif isn't talking about certainty. He's talking about the ability to know anything at all. So we can be fallibilists about knowledge in the sense that we don't have to be certain about something to know it. What Sharif is telling you is that this physicalist account you gave of consciousness leads to the idea of epistemic nihilism because you cannot know anything at all. Uh, but I, I think to get into that and break that down, it, it's 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 related. It's I mean it's 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 called the problem. It's called like arguments from reason. There are a series of yeah. theistic well, arguments that argue against naturalism. But I think to get to break that down is going to take a lot of time. But what he's he's not saying that that would apply to us too. It's, it's he's saying it's just an implication of your worldview. So to say that you know things would be an inconsistency. Oh. To argue for that, yeah. of course, uh, yeah, we need a much longer stream. To everybody as well, whether you're a theist or not. That you on your worldview, son. Yeah, yes, son. The point believe, is that's you know, on you got, your worldview. You don't have epilogue, then that's then you're wrong because even you just don't know your senses in true. You know, you but even son, even son, even that's a knowledge claim to say that even on X, Y, Z, I believe you cannot know truth either. That's still a knowledge claim. See, that's the problem. Problem is that epistemic nihilism means that you can't make any claims. Yeah, you can't even turn around and say, well. Theists are being X, yeah? You can't even say these types of things because there's no grounding for anything because all you are is just simply matter in motion. Yeah, your yeah, thoughts are not exactly. making, you're not making choice. When you make a diagnosis, do you make a diagnosis because you outweigh the evidence? Or are you making a diagnosis because the brain chemistry just happened to be causative of a particular thought? And that My brain chemistry was result of the initial conditions at the Big Bang yeah, and, and the my, laws of when nature. I make, when I make a diagnosis, I um, I weigh up the knowledge that's in my head um, with the information that's given to me by my senses. So it's not exactly. certain, but it goes by probability. And you could say, yes, you could have somebody who's absolutely 100% certain that they speak to trees and you can't judge them. And they, they will say they have absolute truth that they can talk to trees. But that We're not saying I, absolute I, I, truth. We're not saying yeah. absolute truth. I'm saying that for you to make a decision, a diagnosis, you have to weigh up yeah, evidence yeah. that exists out there. 
Exactly. What's not I, I, happening? I can never be certain. I've, I've got diagnoses wrong. Not, about certain, not, not wrong. about certain. It's not about certainty. I'm saying the ability to make any weighing up decision process, whether that's an or probabilistic analysis. I'm saying you can't even do that under okay. your worldview because okay. under your worldview, you have to say that it's not me making a choice between the evidence. It's because of my brain chemistry. My brain chemistry is because of the initial conditions and the physical laws at the moment of the Big Bang or just after Planck's time at the Big Bang. That's what caused you to make your decisions of the diagnosis at that moment in time, not because you believed it to be true. I can make decisions based on the evidence that's presented to me. Um, yeah. And that can be without, it doesn't necessarily have, uh, you know, it's not certain, but it's not, it's not 50-50. Yeah. I, can, I can make judgments that go towards a particular way will go away from a certain way based on the yeah. overall evidence. So, so Esan, in order for you to say that, you have to leave a materialistic, atheistic perspective, or at least a materialistic, physicalistic, physicalist account of the brain and the mind. You have to yeah, leave I that. Think so, no. Yeah, uh, I think I don't. I think I think we're going in circles because. Okay. Uh, uh, I, first of all, I think Sharif is is right. I think Esan, you're just misunderstanding him, or you're not understanding him because uh, even someone in the chat said that Sharif is. Assuming a correspondence theory of mind, he isn't. Uh, sorry, a correspondence theory of truth, he isn't. This is more about the. Uh, you're getting into the, the the metaphysical implications of a certain ontology. It's not about. So what we would say is that the correspondence theory of mind, or like you know, even like any kind of like reliableist account of truth. Uh, this would be applicable to all because you need you know to to be able to say that your uh, mental states can infer truth about the world, uh, you know, uh, uh, and on a certain ontology, which is a physicalist ontology, there are problems with that if you deny mental causation. If you allow for mental causation, that's a different story. But I think that that will that this will be more relevant to our next stream, which is on consciousness. Yeah. So, uh, Ihsan, it was nice having okay. you on. Please come thank again. You and uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care, Ihsan. Bye-bye. Oh, uh, hello, so, so right, I think we've so... got somebody else, haven't we? Yeah, uh, we have Nathan. Oh, hey. <laughs> Hi, Nathan. I just hey. chilled out. I want to say hi to Yusuf. You, uh, you, you've blocked me on Twitter, man. I did, I did. <laughs> I, 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 I can give you a reason why. <laughs> uh, so the first thing I saw when nice I went onto your account was uh, basically something along the lines of you saying, uh, the only reason you're going to read the Quran is to undermine it. And so you came across as someone that wasn't really reading it to see if there was anything genuine to be found in there, but rather you were just wanting to use it as a sort of uh, beating tool for Muslims. And I, I just... Yeah, I, I understand. I would say nice chair, though. I, I think uh, well, that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Looks... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, also, I've apparently been conspiring with Jake against Andrew Loke. <laughs> I don't know if he saw those uh, those screenshots. Where I've I've never spoke to Jake before in my life. Um, but I, I and Andrew Loke said that we have been conspiring together to like join forces against um, his combine our like subscribers or, or something against his uh, reputation or something. And oh, where where where's that? <laughs> Um, it was a screenshot he that someone sent to me, and I ended up taking it down because it was from Cameron Batuzzi's private group. Um, so I thought I thought it's best probably not to have that up. But um, 
it was because, you know, when you did your video on him, I left a comment saying Loke can be very frustrating to engage with. Um, I've had like a similar experience or something, and I think he took that as... Um, Clue to a larger conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it's so spiritual Nathan, warfare. Uh, Nathan, if you can tell us about your worldview and what you think of this stream. I think I think it's interesting. Like, um I I prefer the atmosphere. I, I was just watching this for really for the first time listening while I was doing the dishes. I think I prefer the atmosphere in this stream to um like the Hamza's Day atmosphere. I think that can feel more combative. But perhaps inevitably, whenever people are discussing um beliefs that are really important and there's like these fundamental clashes in opinion on these things it can sometimes get a bit heated but i think i think this this is a better a better kind of vibe from my point of view um i think i've disagreed with even though i'm not a muslim so i don't i don't have like the same metaphysics as you guys i think i've probably disagreed more with most of the guests that you've had on um as far as i've been listening um though i'd probably I, like I was, I was thinking earlier, and, and maybe it's just because I don't have like a, a religious worldview behind me anymore, where I sort of feel compelled to, um, to bring people over to what I think. But it, but sometimes if I'm speaking to Christians, say, and they don't have a very sophisticated, um, view of the world, I'd probably, I, I try and push them towards like a view of Christianity that I view as more like morally pa palatable than a sort of fundamentalist version rather than trying to convince them to abandon Christianity completely. And maybe I thought when you were talking to um, Amy, for example, like you guys are well-versed in philosophy. You could have said, well, here is an alternative natural story. Okay. You're not convinced of it. Like you're not convinced of Cornell realism or something, but that's a story that um, the naturalist could tell. But then I was thinking, am I just annoyed because I'm not on, I like I'm more on their team than I am on your team when actually they're giving like bad reasons for, um, what they think about morality, but I mean, not everyone studied, spent time like looking well, at philosophy and some of these distinctions and stuff. Yeah, as well. Nathan, just 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 about that point. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, like I'd rather uh, an atheist to uh, have a story that that would uh, you know uh, help them avoid nihilism, rather even even if it's not a true story, rather than fall into nihilism um, right. for the good of themselves and the world as a whole. But I think this stream is a bit different. It's it's we're talking about the the metaphysical implications of the worldview so it's it's not uh, yeah of course i mean uh, we and and we acknowledge several times that atheists can be moral people atheists a lot of atheists are good people <laughs> and yeah, uh, so we're, we're more we're more concerned meaning yeah. and things as well yeah yeah, yeah. And so we're more concerned with with the metaphysical implications of this and and uh, and i think uh, again atheists can have meaning i don't i don't uh, i'm not one of those people who say that as an atheist you have to you know face the fact that you don't have meaning uh, i think this is just about you know the implications of whatever ontology you uh, you you have uh, as a commitment. So um, yeah, so I guess a good place yeah, to start would be to... just to ask. So you you went from Christianity to atheism or agnosticism? Yeah, not. I, I mean, perhaps there was. A, I mean, there's there's certainly times um, where I'd say I'm more convinced of a sort of reductive naturalist story than I am of a of a religious one. But I don't think. I don't think I've ever really been committed to the proposition that no gods exist or something like that. I think oh, yeah. it's always been in print. Like I can't, I can't see any contradiction there or some some reason why it couldn't. It's always been like a credence thing, I suppose. Okay, so so you're not a atheist proper. You're more leaning towards agnosticism, although you're still sort of playing with the idea, maybe. Or, I mean, I, 
my, my positions uh i i mean i don't fully i i i couldn't fully like categorize what it is that i believe i i maybe like local agnosticism if you go with the definitions given by Paul Draper in uh, the Stanford Encyclopedia page, which is the idea that with respect to my own beliefs, you know, I'm sort of with, withholding assent because I've not, I, I'm not saying like for or against, but I, that's not really a statement about the way the world is. Um, so yeah, but I mean, agnostic is probably best for other people to, so we're on like a, yeah, a yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and so can I ask, how did you, deal or how did you experience that transition going from say Christianity to this agnosticism um did you ever feel any sort of nihilistic tendencies or that this notion of of life being meaningless or purposeless or that um any sort of narrative that you try to replace religion with being some sort of um act you know like a, a that, that basically it becomes impossible does it did what was the experience i don't know if you felt that or whether you felt maybe more authentic or like how did that transition go down for you exactly and what relationship do you have with nihilism now i guess is the question sure um so i, su I suppose my my own psychology is relatively interesting um from this point of view because i'm someone who's always suffered with depression and so i mean a lot of I don't know how heavily, I, I don't watch too much um, Muslim apologetics, so I couldn't say, but a lot of Christian apologetics at least focuses on the idea that if you become a Christian, it can, um, it'll have answers to a lot of these questions. So that'll help you deal with um, a lot of these kind of psychological issues to mm. do with not being able to make sense of the world and the way reality is and stuff. And certainly that was the way uh, Christianity was sold to me when I came in. Um, I think on, I think though, I developed an overly simplistic story about the way reality is that committed me to um, a kind of story to do with spiritual warfare and stuff like that, which wasn't actually able to fully deal with my psychological reality. So when I came out, I think I was able to engage with some of the causes of some of my feelings a bit more honestly. But that's not to say it's been a wholly positive experience because... Um, I also think, and this is a thought I've been having more recently, that um, the idea of, uh, or certain certain religious beliefs that I have that would sit in my web of beliefs motivated me to act in a way that I wouldn't act um, without those religious beliefs. So the yeah. other day, for example, as I was going into Asda, I was, I, I'd been watching uh, some documentaries about a guy called Albert Schweitzer, for example, and I was kind of thinking, well, how how would I act if there if a, if a god existed and then there was a homeless guy outside and um i had like a conversation with him and then i was like well can i get you any food and so i you know i got him uh, some biscuits and some cans of coke which is what he'd asked for and i thought i wouldn't have acted that way normally there, there's normally someone begging outside and i'd normally go past but i think the way that i've acted I'd, I'd rather be that kind of person even if i can't justify those those sorts of um religious beliefs. So I do think that, um, I do think a religious framework can lead to actions that I would say are better or mo like motivate in that direction. But, um, I also don't think it guarantees better psychological well-being or the ability to deal with things like anxiety or depression, but that like, I can't generalize yeah. from my experience either to everyone else, I guess. No, no. Yeah, well, the, so 
you can get, for example, an anxiety that is drawn out of uh, theism as well, like fear of um, punishment, things like that, or fear of becoming a disbeliever. These these sort of things yeah. um, are things that, that can occur. Um, so it's understandable. So with um, so this notion that, like you said, you, you went and you gave someone something, but you were associating that to your, your web of beliefs that included religious beliefs and not to your atheistic ones. So is there a reason you sort of are willing to say that the reason you gave him something rather than nothing and ignoring yeah, him yeah. and leaving? Why do you associate that with your religious belief or so, whatever? I'm well, guessing you're referring yeah. to it in sort of a remnant way. Like it's a, what remains there from when you were religious. Yeah. Or, I, um, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. What re maybe what remains from when I'm religious was uh, is accurate. It's sort of like... I suppose a a religious attitude towards life makes me personally more considerate of the other. And I mean, this is going to be difficult as well. I don't, I don't know a, a, a lot about Islam, but certainly my idea of religious belief is heavily influenced by Christianity. And in Christianity, a big um, part of theology is this idea of kenosis, of the the emptying of God to like suffer with people in the world, and I think that my um, part of what influenced me to make that decision, for example, was the idea of embodying that stance towards other people um, by I don't know having having a, oops, sorry ping the uh, spring having a kind of reverence for life and other living beings in a way where I could sympathize with them and would want to um, help them in their plight if I can, and it's not too much of an inconvenience to myself. Whereas perhaps without those feelings, without those feelings of, of reverence, I would be happy to just go about my day and get what I needed to get for my tea from Asda and come back home. And I'm not saying, I mean, this isn't the case for everyone, though. Um, yeah. That you know, there's some people who are who are more than happy without having these theological sort of beliefs to do th things like that. Like um, I've got a friend Derek who runs Myth Vision podcast, and he's more than like he helps people get off heroin, for example, in his house. And I think I don't think that there's any aspect of his religious belief that plays a role in that. So maybe it's a psychology thing. Maybe you know, I, I because I have this kind of like. Um, disposition towards depression and stuff that having those beliefs then helps to motivate me in a particular way that I otherwise wouldn't be also I, I, I don't know what the causal story is there. so have you moved so that I guess because it's quite interesting you're saying this now because it, it sounds kind of like I don't mean you're sort of taking maybe a Jordan Peterson approach to religion in a way where you're, you're, you're saying and I may be misinterpreting your words but it sounds like you're saying you act as though you know that cliche jp thing uh you're, you're acting as though god does exist even though you're not convinced he does in some way and this motivates your reverence for life or something is that the general path you're kind of taking here? So, so sort of i actually think um part of it is um part, part of it is engaging with the ideas of a theologian called don cupid and interestingly enough a lot of his theology is motivated by metaphysical nihilism. So, um, and, th and this is a sort of theme that's worked out through Nietzsche's work as well, where he sort of rejects essences and says all there is are appearances. But then when you sort of, if, if, if you reach that stage, then 
all all you're kind of doing is imposing uh, when you reach that stage of metaphysical nihilism all you're doing is imposing a particular um intellectual schema on the set of appearances that you have in your experience and then yeah. a religious um a religious schema is then just one viable option amongst many um and that's kind of Kierkegaard, uh, Kierkegaard's view as well um the kind of christian existentialist I, I, again i don't know there's probably people in the islamic tradition who have been similar i just don't know enough about it um so would you say that if you didn't act this way in the sense that you you didn't just i don't know maybe there's a sense of nostalgia there um or something but if you didn't act that way do you feel like that nihilism would maybe be one of the only options or not or like how would you again just trying to draw it back to the main yeah. topic of the stream What's your relationship with nihilism? Are you acting like this in order to avoid that? Um, you know, lacking the sort of uh, a an authentic belief in the being um, itself, but still seeing value in, in certain ways of sort of living like that, as if it is the case. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, is that basically underpinned by an avoidance of this as a necessary consequence type of thing? Again, I'd, I'd rather you just kind of say explicitly in your own ways without me putting words in your mouth. Yeah, but. yeah, absolutely. Um, I I mean, personally, I don't think I could justify the metaphysics of like classical being theism and that kind of story. Whereas, what, what I, th I, think, I think it's more honest for me to engage in the way that I, I'm doing, but I can see how someone from a different framework would look at that and say that that's what's going on. And um, when it comes to... I mean, I, I take metaphysics to be basically distinguishing between appearances and reality. So we have we have these um, appearances of um, what was it that um, Abdul said earlier? Something like normative claims, right? Or or there seem to be these moral facts like um, it's wrong everywhere, uh, always and everywhere to torture babies for fun, or something like that. And then various people just try and construct a story about why that is the case like what's the explanation and then maybe taking someone like graham oppie's approach i think what we what something we can do there is we can sort of lay these various theories out side by side and we can say well what are they committed to what's their explanatory scope um uh, there's other i mean there's debate again over these like theoretical virtues so a lot of my catholic friends are going to say well it agreeing with my intuitions for example is like also a theoretical virtue and, that, and maybe that gets more into some of these more foundational um foundational way what um beliefs in that in that web of, of how we do this so i i think um personally i do think that naturalists can account for all the phenomena in a way that i'd be more than happy with i'm not convinced that the story that they tell is true but I think um, maybe as a way of maybe as a way of, pu of pushing back against the confidence that I see some that some religious people and um, putting in their explanation, I would I would adopt that position just to play like devil's advocate or something. Um, yeah, I don't Nathan, can I ask you something? Are you are you being honest or are you just building rapport? Oh, I'm ju just building rapport. <laughs> I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. I think I think both. Um, I mean, I could. I guess I could have come in here and been like really combative because I think I disagree with you guys, but I don't see what that would achieve. Um, so I, I am telling you things that are true to my experience, and I genuinely believe. But I'm also doing it in a way 
which I think is more fruitful and productive rather than just being like, uh, oh, I think you guys are wrong. Uh, uh, something, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a little bit troubling because when you say some of the things you said, it's kind of hard to know when you're being serious or not. Do you mean we're, so with respect to um, me reviewing um, the video that Doug did, I suppose I actually think I probably regret having done that now, but I think it was more for my audience and I didn't think about um, how someone from that other perspective would view it. Um, and that was short-sighted, I guess, from my point of view. Yeah, th um, I think the, the biggest yeah. problem was from the way I sort of, when I was looking at what was going on, was just that there was a lot of sort of assumptions about what was going on and the unseen part of people's hearts. Like there was a lot of psychoanalysis sort of going on of um, Andalusian Project or Asadullah. Uh, he, he was the brother that uh, reviewed the video with me and Jake. Um, and I could, to be honest, if, if that was something that was going on with me, I, I could probably say that I'd have been quite annoyed about that as well. Um, and so I, I think his sort of anger with regards to that or annoyance at least yeah i get uh, it i definitely get it because it, yeah. it, it was like you, you were sort of watching him talking and you were saying oh here he's doing this because of this and here he's doing but it, a lot of this was was guesswork on your part you, you don't have access to that part of his heart you can't really say that with the confidence you were doing when you were going through it um it's, it's a bit of a sort of side tangent i guess it was relevant because obviously now we're, we're talking here another thing that was a sort of an issue was um the the way that Pine Creek came across. So he, he came across as, as quite genuine in the uh, EF Dawa video. And it was nice. Like uh, the Muslims were buzzing with the conversation. We all were. Like I, I was watching it. I've, I was familiar with Pine Creek prior to that. And I enjoyed watching his videos. Obviously, I'm fully aware we, we're on opposite sides of a fence. Uh, him being an atheist, me being theist. Um, but like I liked the way he engaged with people. But I wasn't, I hadn't watched too many of his videos, I guess. Like maybe I wasn't fully aware that this was his kind of thing, street epistemology or whatever you refer to it. And and then um, obviously that, that happened. He acted a particular way. And then when it, uh, he was doing the video with you, it came across as, as completely different and like it was feigned and as if it wasn't, he wasn't being authentic. And the, the reason I guess there was a, a bad reaction to that is because it felt authentic. And that was what sort of led to the, the nice uh, feeling of watching that conversation. Mm. It was like, the reason this conversation feels nice is because this feels authentic. And then in that video, he, it, he takes away the authenticity of it. it. He made it sound like he was just playing a game. It was just a tactic. He's doing this in order to, uh, you know, cause doubts in people and blah, 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 blah. And I guess that's obviously the, the whole purpose of his channel. He's an atheist. He's pushing a particular kind of view. But it, it it kicked out any any authenticity that was experienced in the watching of that for anyone who did watch it. Um, it was removed, and not only removed, it was sort of swapped with a dis, uh, like a deceitfulness. Um, and then on top of that, obviously, you've got the sort of psychoanalysis going on, and it just felt like. And, and one of the arguments was is it, it's not behind your back because it's live, but like for me, I feel as if. Even if it's live, it can still be considered somewhat backbiting if the person isn't present and they're not a part of that conversation. Whether it's live or not is, is beyond the point. If they're involved in the conversation and they can have a back and forth with you, that's one thing. When they're not, 
it becomes somewhat problematic. And I guess so that, that, you know, obviously Jake raising it there, it sort of leads us to this point now where we're having this back and forth. Obviously, the whole point of the discussion is about nihilism, your relationship to it now, to what the point, to what degree you can sort of um, admit to nihilisms as a sort of necessary consequence of, of a particular kind of atheism, specifically hard atheism, for example, um, rather than the agnostic, well, I guess there's varying versions of agnosticism. So there's the ones who are not sure whether it's possible um, that they can come to a belief in God or not, or, you know, because of lack of exploration of the subject, or those who, who believe that it's just not possible to know, which is a completely separate thing. And so I guess you can say those who believe that it's not possible to know that there is a degree of nihilism associated with that, um, rather than just a lack of willingness to sort of explore the subjects with the second, uh, that being that they've not explored the subjects so they don't know. Um, so we're, we're trying to establish whether or not you agree with that as a conclusion. Like if these are true, right. does nihilism follow from that? Um, now, obviously along with that is this, I guess, the notion of to what degree you're being honest with us, um, to what degree you're doing what, uh, Pine Creek did in EF Tower. Um, I'm getting a sense of sincerity, but I also got that with Pine Creek as well. Um, so, so Nathan, are you? You've just said that you are trying to be sincere. But what did you think then, in terms of how Pine Creek came across? Was it EF Tower show that he was on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, what, what do you think to that? Um, personally, I think um, the way he engaged. And I think you guys do agree to this part, at least, was a fruitful way of having a conversation. Um, as in, if you look at, I can't, I can't remember how long there is, but I think there's a couple of hours of discussion beforehand in that, in that show. Um, and if you look at people when they come in and just say, well, there is, you know, there is no objective morality or here's, here's my story and here's why you're wrong. Um, that that approach leads to conflict. Um, and it's the same, it's, this isn't to put it like on the theistic worldview and say that that's a consequence of that. It's the exact same on the atheist experience because that's also their, um, that's their, um, yeah, their shtick, their, their go-to. So I think that the method that Doug employed, I don't think it was dishonest of him. I think it was just a tactic. It's, it's kind of like in, I, again, I'm sure there's the equivalent in Islamic apologetics, um, Dean, or I, I don't know what the right terminology is, but in Christian Apologetics, there's a book called Greg Kukul's Tactics, where they talk about avoiding um, talking about the specific topics and just telling people that they're wrong and more asking questions and leaving a stone in the non-believer's shoe and stuff like that. And I think that that's basically Doug's approach because it's more effective. Now, he also has beliefs uh, that are contrary to those in the Islamic worldview. And I suppose in the review, we could have been more charitable, right? And that's something that I regret. I say through the process of the last few weeks, I'd hope I'm a slightly better person now in that I'm trying to move my channel a bit more away from doing that kind of thing and more to just focus on the content. Um, and it was uncharitable of me to do that. Um, even regardless of how much I think what I said was true or not, um, and I don't know that everything, as you're saying, I don't, I don't know his psychological states. I don't know everything about his background. So I, I, it's speculation on my part. Mm. Um, it, so that's not the best way of engaging in discourse. And I guess I see that. But I do think that the, there is value in the kind of conversations that Doug had in the first place, 
but we should have perhaps dealt with it differently after the fact um, and focused less on the psychology of the people involved. Yeah, I think what it is is that what, the way it comes across in terms of being disingenuous is it's disingenuous in terms of, um, you know, I don't think anybody has a problem in terms of asking questions or even if you want to come around and ask questions to create doubts in other people in terms of their own particular worldview, challenge them. I think the disingenuousness was the fact that he was coming across as though he was agreeing, he was being agreeable, he could understand. And then later on, the way he spoke about it is it's like, haha, look at these Muslims, how they're like Christians and Christian apologetics and how silly they are. That's how it came across. So it's like, this is what he had in his heart. This was his intention. And he was just doing it in order to sort of create some sort of clickbait video later on. Yeah, it, it sort of, it's, it felt like it moved to mockery rather than to like, right. hey, I like you guys. I like you guys. And then you go behind your back and then ha ha ha, ha those guys are stupid kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't when, think that that sorry. should be something that we should, you know, necessarily defend, Nathan. So I'm quite surprised that you're saying dog, Doug's doing you know, he's being genuine in this, that, and the other, when that doesn't come across as genuine. I, I, I think he is. Um, I guess you would have to get to, to know him and have more conversations. Um, I mean, that like, there, there's aspects of um, Doug's character and stuff that I disagree with, but I think in general, he's a pretty honest guy who's trying to... Well, he's, he's just trying to have fun, I think, with his channel, really. Um, now, that's not to say... I'm always on board with with everything he does or anything like that. Like I think my channel has a slightly different slant where I enjoy interviewing philosophers and trying to. Um, I suppose I suppose I'll have people on of different agreements where I want of different positions where I want to kind of bring out the best in them, even if I disagree. Um, and I think Doug's channel is more about these conversations with people who have quite extreme worldviews um, to do with theism or. Um, or other topics, and he's trying to reduce their confidence through having these conversations. But I think building rapport is a part of that. Um, I think that's how, I mean, if, if you're in different tribal camps, it's how you get someone in that other camp to humanize you without just seeing you as this target for, um, you know, like some argument that you've never heard of or something. And to make yeah, yeah. And there's but I think wrong build, with... building rapport, I don't think anybody's going to say building rapport is wrong. I think that's yeah, what yeah. We all trying to get to people to like you is yeah. a normal, nice thing. But it's what just it is... when it's it becomes associated with a sense of mockery of that person. It's the, it, it, it like I said in the earlier part of it, it sort of removes any authenticity. And there was a similar thing. So one of the things that Doug was doing, he mentioned like at the beginning, he was like, "Oh, those pesky Christians that you had on before, you don't, they're wrong." And and you did a, a very like a little bit similar of a thing. You came on and you said, "Oh, I, I disagreed with all of the guests that you came on." And so when it when it becomes a bit like you're reading from a book, it loses its effect if, if we can see it. Right. And so it, it undermines the purpose of, of sort of using it at all, um, yeah. I guess, from that perspective. But, and, and then, and then, unfortunately, then we have to ask you the question, are you just yeah. building rapport? And then it or are you being sincere? Yeah, yeah. Or is this just something that you want to put on your YouTube channel and go, haha, look at these Muslims, and many of your audience probably won't come back and watch the full stream and therefore understand the context of the discussion that we've been having. Yeah. Don't to forget, see, he mentioned I mean. that he's teaming up with me with Andrew Loke. So that, that seems <laughs> like a, another building rapport approach. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, basically, it, it ends up 
being counterproductive. Like the, the whole goal of these things was to sort of draw a closeness, but then it just, it, I guess, creates a doubt in the people you're engaging with. Um, yeah. which and, and we wouldn't want to doubt you, Nathan, because like I said, you come across very respectful. You come across really nice on here, you know, um, and we would want to have that ability to have that continued, honest discussion where we can sort of trust each other's intentions, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get I get where you guys are coming from. And I guess um, that's why in this context, I'm here having a conversation like this, I suppose, rather than just sort of li live streaming at the same time and commentating on you guys' psychology or something. Um, okay. It's not to say I've, I've, I've always been perfect. I, I mean, I've I, I tend to keep things up on my channel that I disagree with now um, to show that I, I'm certainly like wrong on a lot of occasions or I don't always do the best thing. Um, so which is why i have my like christian conversion testimony up there or um like a video i made about a response between uh joe schmid and my friend james fodor about the definition of atheism where i now probably disagree with the things i said in that um and i think that my my audience sort of appreciates watching that intellectual development over time or the uh, character development as i figure out what my positions are and uh, and progress and change on them yeah, and I don't think anybody has a problem in terms of having, you know, character development in terms of your ideas are changing over time, and that would be interesting. But I think the problem is that as soon as people doubt your honesty on streams, then that really puts into question everything that you do, even yeah, then your earlier well. videos, because it's like, well, is he just doing it for being honest, or is it just he's trying to say, yeah, you know, I used to be a Christian, I converted, and then... Haha, now I'm no longer yeah. one. Just well, that, that was Cameron Batuzzi's theory um with with Andrew Loke in the in the screenshot. It was that Did I he? faked my deconversion story. And I mean yeah. there is there is if people I mean someone could rationally form that belief, I think. I I like I don't think it's true. It wouldn't be rational for me to believe it right I now. I mean, but, but Nathan, guess, how do we even know the screenshot exists? You could just be making it up. Well yeah, I could <laughs> yeah. I can, we're, I, could, we're I, I could message it to you. I could provide it to you if you like. Okay, um, yeah, I would like to see it. But, yeah. And maybe, uh, maybe Nathan is what maybe what, where we're coming from is maybe a point of advice, yeah? yeah, yeah, which is the point of advice would be this is be that sincere and honest person that I think you want to be and project that within within the within the YouTube and on social media so that people don't doubt your character, don't think, well, is he really being honest or is it just for? clickbait views or you know what is it so you know be that person and advise doug i would you know in your perspective if you know him very well or you know know him to say actually maybe that wasn't the best way to do it and then to try to you know come across as though actually we were just having a bit of a laugh and a joke and mocking them from behind the scenes but they just didn't realize at the time so maybe say look this isn't the best way to to approach things because if you want to uh, encourage and build the discourse and I think that's really important because you know yeah. hopefully we're all truth seekers then you know and you want to do that as well then the best way is it has to be through honest characters isn't it being open yeah being transparent to a certain extent yeah I think I think I'm, bro I'm broadly in agreement with pretty much everything you said there you know I, th I think there's a mm -hmm. like I, d I do think there's a bit um of a complicated um think about everything that's going on in that scenario like you've got to take it say from from my point of view where i'm i have like a relatively high credence that what 
your guy's position is wrong, for example, and then I see that my uh, someone who's like my friend Doug has, has done this video, and then I think I'm just going to do this stream. And mm. from my the point of view of my psychology, I guess I'm sort of just thinking I'm talking to my own audience, not thinking the full thing through. But yeah, I agree, I agree with what you're saying that in in future um, and, and and as a result of going through things like this, it's like well, let's try and be a bit less. Let's try and make fewer of those mistakes, maybe to to a smaller degree. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of bring it back to obviously the I don't want it to go off on too much of a yeah, yeah, on yeah. this particular yeah. conversation. So so back to the idea of nihilism. Um just like a sort of do do you think that it's correct to say that atheism or this um hard agnosticism lead to nihilism? Uh I I don't think so. Um okay. I think that to uh atheism if we if we take it to be say um the belief that there are no gods then there's a whole range of uh, metaphysical positions someone could take now you i mean you could always say well you're not convinced of those but i suppose the the point isn't to convince you it's to convince the hypothetical person who's an atheist and looking for a way of you know a, a way to account for moral facts like you you know you can be a, a platonist or a neo-aristotelian of some sort or um you know, you can be a Cornell realist and a reductive mm. naturalist. There's there's tons of positions out there you could take. Yeah, no, there is. So for me, I think, I guess the, the major issue is that to sort of get access to these, you, you need to be inclined to a particular type of being. That is, you, you like, for example, you need to be interested in reading. You need to be interested in looking into these sort of abstract arguments and conversations and things like that. Now, I think for the majority of lay people, where you know they've got a nine to five job um they don't read often their their thing is maybe watching youtube videos and this and the other that a lot of these sort of complex philosophies um that can sort of in a way whether or not obviously they're true is, is a separate argument um but you know they don't have access to that simply because it's just not something they're into um so would you say that in order to overcome nihilism as an atheist or an agnostic that you need to be someone who's sort of into this abstract philosophy in order to be equipped to deal with it and that for example maybe the layman has to avoid it with other forms of escapism so we were mentioning things like you know like uh, alcohol or parties or whatever computer games whatever it is um netflix binging yeah i i think there's i think there's a couple of things that might be sort of getting confused in the discourse here and that is sort of someone's theory of why the appearance of the world is the way it is which uh, and how someone lives um and obviously like those two can be interconnected like your theory of why the world is the way it is can like inform the way that you behave and act but um you know someone can live their whole life never caring less about what accounts for moral facts yeah. and just be content like some people are just like that and i i think that um, that sort of comes down to just character differences. Um. Yeah, but Nathan, what you were saying earlier, we need to end this very soon, but what you were saying earlier about Graham Oppie and, and explanation, uh, sorry, I, I, I'm wondering if, 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 uh, if, you know, explanatory virtue is just about, you know, saying or, or making some kind of assertion, uh, you know, adding layers to, 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 to your ontology without some kind of substantiation and voila we've got the same explanatory virtue like like merely saying that i have this naturalistic picture plus objective moral facts that supervene on 
natural reality, reality somehow. Uh, in terms of explanatory virtue, I mean, <laughs> sure, there's uh, coherence there in terms of like there, there's no inconsistency, but um, does that make them on equal grounding in terms of explanatory virtue? I'm, I'm talking about theism versus this naturalism, uh, naturalistic account of uh, objective morality. Um, I mean, it, it depends which you'd, you'd have to tell me, I suppose, <clears throat> which thing, um, you know, which particular phenomena, say, um, naturalism isn't accounted for or where it's too ontologically liberal compared to theism or something. Um, I think a naturalist story can account for all these facts and be just as parsimonious and have, you know, just as good a fit to the data as the theistic one. And so, I mean, so you, you don't think it's, sorry. So you, so you don't think it's, it's like ontologically liberal to say that we have this, uh, material world and we're going to add to our ontology some some form of moral facts that supervene on the material reality we don't know how but moral facts that we see from our subjective view as normative as requiring to some kind of consciousness or mind dependency uh somehow that isn't necessary they supervene on the material and you don't think that's ontologically liberal um, only as ontologically liberal as the theist picture is going to be. If, if you're talking about that non-realist, uh, sorry, non-natural picture, but um, a reductive naturalist isn't going to, um, well, I mean, I suppose they might use the same language of supervenience, but, um, the, you know, there's different pictures we could be painting here. Like my friend James Fodor is a reductive naturalist and he um, says he can account for um, moral facts in this reductive natural picture, you know, that there's nothing beyond the physical in his worldview. Um, I, I've interviewed like Russ Schaefer Lando, Lando, who takes the position that they're, you know, these non natural things that supervene somehow. Uh, but I think the problem is still there for theism. Yeah, but Schaefer, I mean, Schaefer Lando so? just, sorry, Schaefer Lando just asserts that. I, I just don't, what, what I'm saying is, uh, and I know Schaefer Lando like wrote a book where he he has an extensive defense of this. I don't want to undermine that or oversimplify it. What I'm saying is that, um, you're saying it's it's on equal grounding or as equally ontologically liberal as a theistic picture. I'm wondering how that is the case because remember we're just comparing. Not it's it's not about the existence of God here. We're comparing a conscious mind, a a a, a uh, that grounds the source of objective morality, uh, and morality being this this uh, normative framework we have about you know what we ought do is something that we find necessarily must be sourced not in some kind of if if it's objective not in in in, in matter i mean i think that's that's at least you could say that's that you have to say that's intuitive so i'm wondering how those are on equal footing if i'm saying there's a mind that says you ought to do such and you're saying no there's no mind there's material plus some kind of i don't know abstract fact uh, that supervenes on the material that says you shouldn't kill babies so i i just don't I don't see how those two are equally, uh, you know, explanatorily virtuous. So um, I suppose the the reductive naturalist is going to tell you some story about physical states of affairs. So in their ontology, they've got one kind of thing, uh, physical stuff or whatever, you know, the most fundamental kind of particle is. And they're going to tell you some story about how that accounts for the phenomena. Um, the the non-natural moral realist is going to tell you uh, like you said about these abstractor that somehow supervene on or have something to do with it, um, and then there's you know there's going to be various kind of theories within that, um, and then 
again, the theist, I, I don't know too much about Islamic theology, so but I can say at least within Christian theology, there's various positions that one might take. So there might be a Neoplatonist, for example, there might be a theistic voluntarist where it's God's commands. And the question's still there about, you know, how do these beliefs that God has in his mind have anything to do with it being wrong that I do something? Like, how do they supervene on the physical states of affairs? How do, I, like all those, I, I think the problems are there for any view ultimately. Um, and then it just comes down to, you know, which which one of those are you going to pick according to the theoretical virtues that you think they they achieve or something like that. But I think I think they all yeah. hit that point. Yeah, but on, on your on your yeah. So on your view, the the um, because because you see from 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 a naturalist perspective, from an atheist perspective, generally you see this idea. For example, you guys a lot of times you say that theists have this you know go to card of God did it right right so how did such and such happen god did it right that's that's doesn't seem to be a reasonable approach to take and, and when it comes to you know uh, uh asserting things about reality or, or 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 forming beliefs about reality right so it it seems to me that you're just the naturalist who kind of makes this account and says that there is some kind of actual ontological account that grounds uh objective realism will be doing the same thing if you're going to say they're not and they are just doing what the theist is doing then what you're saying is that the materialist uh, forming a meaningful uh, an account of meaning from a reductive materialist worldview uh, has an equally simple and easy task as a theist who believes in a fundamental mind that grounds morality and objective truth i mean do do those two seem like they have a similar kind of burden to bear in terms of grounding objective morality? Um, well, it depends what you mean. But like bur burden to bear, yes, I think like both has to um, do their best to sort of make the case for their position, sort of thing. If that is that's what you mean. Talking but about the magnitude. It, sorry, just yeah. to clarify, so you can answer clearly. Just, I'm talking about the magnitude of the task at hand. You know, one compared to another theism and and uh reductive materialism you think that the the magnitude of the task or the, the 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 work they have to do in order to uh have a grounding for objective morality or objective meaning on their worldviews are, are, are those on equal grounding those two tasks um for me i think so yeah i do think so so me telling you that there is a mind that is telling me it is good to do this and it is bad to do that is the same as me telling you there is a particle out there that basically grounds the fact that it is good to do this and it is bad to do that. Those two, in, ter in terms of explanatory virtue, they are on par with one another. Well, well um, so the first thing to say, I suppose, is that the, the reductive naturalist isn't saying there's a particle that tells you. They're saying that some particular arrangement of physical facts just is what good means. Um, now, is there an issue for the theist view? I, th I think so. Like, I, I mean, I'd want to know. So, so there's this this mind telling you that it that it's good to do a certain thing. And I guess my question would be, well, like in virtue of what is it good? Like. How, how does it know it's good? How, like, there's there's so many questions, and then we're gonna we're gonna have this question of, um, well, let let's say there is this property like goodness. Well, what does it have to do with the situation of the physical facts? Like, how is it interacting with those state of affairs? Like, there's this isn't to say that theists can't yeah, rationally so take the, the picture. The, yeah, sorry. 
Yeah, so the Euthyphro dilemma, I mean, you could, you could simply say that, you know, God is the grounding of morality. You know, I, I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with a, um, modified forms of, of, of the divine command theory where God's nature grounds the objective, uh, grounds objective morality. Uh, but I, I think I still, I still want to press you on that point. You're saying that uh, a certain arrange, arrangement of atoms and molecules uh, kinds of ground, grounds the meaning of good and bad. But it's quite obvious to me that, you know, moral, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, values are normative. They're not, they're not, they're not descriptive of reality. They're saying you ought to do something. They're saying something is uh, virtuous or something is morally, uh, you know, uh, reprehensible. That these are normative claims that don't seem to be descriptive of atoms bumping into each other. But somehow you're telling me that atoms one atom bumping into another can explain that as well as a mind that informs you of that as well as a mind that governs it because you know the fact that it is a normative fact kind of uh, um intuitively requires some kind of mind to to so, to you know ground it so so it's, it's 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 yeah go on i was just gonna say just to interject so i'll let you finish what you're gonna say and then obviously i'll let um Gnosis, Nathan, respond. Um, I'm just conscious it's, it's three hours into it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it might be good that we maybe we try to organize in future um, an episode on morality in, in, you yeah. know, in particular, um, where we can maybe get into the, the meat and potatoes of that in a bit more detail, because uh, this is, is a very... Yeah, so maybe, maybe, yeah. So, so maybe Nathan uh, can so, reply and then Sharif can end it. Yeah, like just yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll wrap up just... here and then we'll we'll talk maybe yeah. about arranging something in the future where we can go into morality and, and then if obviously we can let Nathan know uh, in advance or something maybe he can jump on early um, and then obviously we won't have these as, as much of a, a time restraint in terms of where the conversation can go um, but sure. yeah sorry go ahead uh, Nathan if you want to so Nathan you can, you can give your yeah. final thoughts and then and then we'll end it yeah I, I, I just think from my point of view that um, there's still issues um, for the theist in, term, in terms of normativity and how they get it. Um, there's still issues for that particular response to, um, response to the youth throw dilemma. Um, God's nature is what it is in virtue of what, or is it just a tautology? Um, and then, yeah, what did I want to say? So, so the physicalist who is saying that, who, who's a moral realist? Like, a, let, let's take a reductive naturalist approach because that's the position that I suppose is seems most counterintuitive to most theists and uh, unless you're uh what's his name uh Hobbes the author of Leviathan or something but um you know it's it it seems the most counterintuitive because moral facts seem uh not like these descriptions of like a third person view we give on reality but the people who adopt a reductive naturalism um they're just saying that you know, like what what minds are, and minds are the things that have motivations to do certain things, and uh, these moral facts might be relations between these kind of minds and things like that. Um, they're just going to offer you a fully reductive story in terms of what that normativity is and uh, what an account for it is. Now, you can say, well, that doesn't work for me. I think it has to be this kind of explanation where um, a supreme being is telling you, otherwise it's not re real normativity or something like that. But I think that they're able to do it in just in just the same way. Um, and I, I can appreciate that's not going to be, might not be good enough for you. And that's probably why you're a theist, right? <laughs> or, or why, you know, why these reasons provide you with justification to be a theist. But 
I can, from where I'm sitting, I can see how that's good enough for the reductive naturalist atheist as well. Cool. Thank you, Nathan, for coming on. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back on uh, um, on a future discussion and maybe we, we can talk about this in more detail. But do we but know which was our next? What's our next episode? Consciousness. On? So our, our next one's two. on. Yeah, and that's with yeah. Ham's resources. Ham's so resources maybe we'll do the on, morality yeah. after that. Um, so it'll probably be in about four weeks from now. Maybe. Yeah. Inshallah. Um, we'll, we'll see what's going on. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Thanks. thanks. Thanks a lot, Nathan. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you've been very pleasant. And uh, yeah, if I'm around, I'll see you guys in a few weeks. No problem. Cool. Take care. Okay. Take care. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, alhamdulillah. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody wants to say any last words, particularly upon what Nathan was saying. I think uh, he was trying to claim that there's some sort of euthyros, euthyros dialogue. Euthythro, yeah. I guess the issue is is that when we say that God's maximally good being, it comes as as Josh, Josh Rasmussen would probably say, it's part of the definition of a necessary being that it would have to have maximal traits, including being maximally moral. So, yeah, Yusuf, I, I cut you off, sorry. Yeah, no, no. So for me, I, I didn't really want to mention too much on, on the the ending of the conversation, sort of focusing on to what degree we can justify morality or not in any particular worldview, but just more on, on this idea of nihilism. Um, so for me, the, the point was mainly um, that nihilism is a problem, that many people do suffer from it. Um, that there may be ways of sort of trying to stem that with complex philosophies. Um, but personally, I feel that, that those philosophies themselves don't really do a good job at that. Um, if anything, they can often, for the person that approaches them, it can accentuate the problem or make it harder, especially for people that are not necessarily equipped, which is the average person, um, with being able to sort of dip their toes into to complex abstract philosophy. Um, and so they don't offer a viable solution to the problem of nihilism for the layman. Um, and so what the layman is left with, um, and by layman, I'm not talking specifically theists or atheists, but just globally, what the layman is left with is, is forms of escapism. Um, in the West, they do that with um, moving towards, uh, you know, materialism, hedonism, um, and, you know, and forms of that, and and it's basically an it's an escapism. They they recognise a problem, they feel the problem. They're you know the, the problem is sort of overwhelming them, uh, very much like the bad weather does, and you know they're outside and they don't have a house to go into. Um, so they distract themselves with something in order so they don't have to pay attention to the condition that they're in. Um, I and that is the 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 aim that I had for this stream in particular. What I wanted to sort of show or at least argue and i hope i made that point clear at the beginning um was that it is a problem and that you can see that there's a correlation with this idea or this understanding of nihilism of the life being meaningless um being associated with rates of suicide that if you are committing suicide that you must by definition also be nihilist or nihilistic uh, and, and the stats of suicide are quite scary as well that it's um something like i think it was uh who released an article that showed around 800,000 people per year end their lives. Um, that's equivalent to a large city every year, just ending its life. And then even more attempt and fail. So there's like one in four um, attempted, to, uh, sorry, there's like for every one su uh, active suicide that is successful, there is another up to like maybe four people who have attempted suicide and failed. So those numbers increase even more 
And then you have the people that don't attempt suicide but think about it because they suffer from nihilism or they suffer from depression um, severely. And so they have to try to deal with that and think and you know come up with coping mechanisms. But it, all in all, I would say that this is ultimately because of a, a, a sense of nihilism that people are currently experiencing and that the modern condition really does feed into that. And there's a number of things that it does that with, um, mainly an overabundance of information. There's just too much out there. People feel incapable of being able to deal with the amount of information out there. Um, and, and you see this being expressed in, you know, when people apostate, they often bring forward the idea, oh, well, what are the chances I was born into the right religion? Or, you know, the, or there's all there's 10,000 gods, which one's the right one, blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's, it's often a very like overly simplistic method of um rejection like like, the, like there isn't methods that you can utilize in order to reduce the amount of numbers in the same way the um the positive atheist or the, the atheist proper might say um i've looked into it and the idea of the supernatural or of a god at all doesn't make sense to me therefore all religions must be false what they do is they they ask a fundamental question and then they make a category and anything that falls into that category um is thrown out the window but the simple fact of there being a plurality of positions on the idea of a God isn't reason enough to reject it, to reject that category of the, the supernatural. Uh, and that there are methods, and obviously we've gone through a few of them, we're going to go through more in the future as well, but there are methods of coming to the understanding that there is a necessary being, and then there are arguments that do move from the argument of a necessary being to one that is a God or that has characteristics uh, that would fit that of being called a God. And then you can go through this method of um, elimination where you can say, well, what, you know, if there is a God, uh, you know, what is the, the character? Is it more likely to be one God or a multiplicity? Is it more likely to be a trinity? Um, you know, does it have X qualities or not? And then through this, you can go through a process of elimination. And, you know, if, for example, you can give a viable argument for the absurdity of polytheism, or for there to be the necessity of monotheism underpinning the development of any sort of polytheism, then you can write off any polytheistic religion. And what does that do? It just so happens to reduce a very large number of gods from the pool of 10,000 um, or 10 million. Or however, I don't even know how many Hinduism's got these days, but there's a lot. And you, you, by doing that, you can go through this process of elimination and it makes the process easier to analyze. It's not a case of just, oh, there's 10 million. Um, but like I said, the, the, the condition of nihilism is just this overabundance of information. We've become a globally connected world and all of these religions are, you know, uh, on your phones. You can just Google it and you'll see. And people become overwhelmed by that. They don't have uh, the tools to be able to sort of deal with so much information. And so they don't feel that there is enough time in life to be able to overcome that problem. And so it's not necessarily a case of epistemic nihilism as being a, a fact of life. Uh, so they don't think that, you know, it, maybe they believe that if I had enough time in life, I could get knowledge. I could figure these things out, but I don't. I'm not guaranteed 20 years. Maybe I'll live 80 if I'm lucky. But that I don't see as enough time to be able to do what I need to do in order to find what truth is or to find knowledge. And so they avoid it. They see it as like, I don't have the time. So what's the point in doing it? In the same way that maybe someone says, well, I don't have the time to to build a, um, this toy. Like, I, I don't have the time to do it, so I'm not even going to bother starting doing it because I'm never going to get around to finishing it. So why build the toy at all? I'm going to focus on things I do have time to do 
and obviously that ends up kind of falling into the the category of hedonism etc um but to close, I'm yeah, gonna to, have to <laughs> yeah, i'm just gonna say to close uh, sorry for rambling <laughs> there um so to close there are methods to overcome this i've done a series on this um there's a number of my work i was going to announce that yeah actually, in the description yeah. i've put it in the description now as well so it's underneath the title yusuf's work on nihilism there's a couple of playlists there there's my dissertation um, that I did for uni for my philosophy degree. And then there's the article that I wrote for Sapiens Institute. Um, those are there. Do watch them. The, specifically the Sapiens Institute playlist as well. Um, there's methods on how to overcome these problems and things like that. And uh, inshallah, I'm going to go into that in a lot more detail in the future as well. Um, so do check that out and I'll, I'll leave it to the next host. Sorry for the long ramble. <laughs> no, it's Jazakallah to the brothers. I don't know if anybody was want to say anything quickly last... <laughs> I think we've, 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 we've said it all, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to go home. Okay, no problem. Just yes. like to the audience. Uh, as you can see, I got kicked out of my house and now I'm sat in the car because uh, <laughs> it's dark and late at night. <laughs> but uh, just a quick announcement. So, in the next two weeks, inshallah, we've got the uh, next stream, which will be on part two of consciousness. So, for the uh, audience members, uh, be excellent. So, we're going to talk about the materialistic um, explanations on consciousness and how they fail. So this is part two. Hamza sorts this, has agreed to come back on. So we've got him on to discuss this, alhamdulillah. Uh, the other thing that we're going to uh, announce is the fact that there's a course that we're releasing on the Thought Adventure podcast. It's like a weekly series. It's just an introduction into the various evidences and proofs for Islam. It goes into the discussion about purpose of life, epistemology, uh, the various uh, arguments for the existence of a creator, uh, need for messengers, and for prophethood of the prophets, uh, uh, and the you know the necessity of the prophets, Allah وسلم, as being a prophet. So keep your eyes out. That I think that will be released every Wednesday, inshallah. So there's a few videos there. Uh, Jazakallah khair to the uh, brothers on the panel uh, and for the audience for watching it, uh, and also uh, thank you for the guests for coming on and hopefully. It's giving you some food for thought uh, to understand the necessity and the the desire that we have for meaning to ground, to make sense of the world around us. Uh, there's so much more that we can say, and we'll probably revisit this discussion uh, in a future case. Jazakallah uh, khair, and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and we'll go to the outro.